0: I want to be where the goody pee-pees are. I want to see, want to see them painting. Listening to the podcast known as, oh, what's it called? Trapped under
1: plastic. Out where they prime. Out where they (laughs) shave. Yeah, where they breathe in fumes all day. Oh, da, da, da. Okay, anyways, the actual intro is the podcast where mostly grown men use plastic figurines instead of a coloring book and act all serious about it, Colin D. Thank you. Mm, I can't say that name. Um, That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that that I, got me so fired up. <laughs>
0: <dude>. <laughs> As, okay, let's, let's peel back the curtain a little bit here, uh, Goody Peebies. At the start of each episode... Right before we hit record, we to, we ask each other, who has to do the little thing, and then who says Trapped Under Plastic? And then immediately, the person who has to come up with the thing <laughs> thinks of a song now. Yeah, yeah now it's all songs. <laughs> so it's just songs, and why my brain went to the fucking Little Mermaid song, I don't know. I thought it was going to be a different song. What was the first three words
1: you said? I want to be where the goody pee-pees are. Okay. Oh, yeah, I thought it was going to be, I want to be the very best. I thought you were doing Pokemon. <laughs> but then you went Little Mermaid. Oh, I, or I could also go Green Day. I want to be an American idiot. idiot. Yeah, okay. Dang, there's a lot of options there. Yeah, There's. listen, future episodes are all taken
0: care of, guys. <laughs> we got it all figured out.
1: Well, that was great. That could be so fired up, Little Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> all right, into the preamble ramble. Um, what am I Oh, i got to go down. i got to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I uh, I was driving to Wisconsin recently by myself, and I was listening to a podcast called The Rule of
0: Carnage. Wow, that's a that's a, that's a pretty scary rule. I don't I know. know what that rule is. I don't know what it, like, it is either. Okay.
1: But like I mentioned in the last episode, they are uh, two guys talking about miniature war games and how to design them. Um, and one thing that they said that stuck with me that I heard from many other uh, resources, both books and other podcasts, was the importance of theming in your game. Um, So one thing that theming helps with is it helps with rule comprehension so it's like if I tell you you're Legolas Mm -hmm. like in a game immediately you conjure up all you know an image you think about things you can do in that game like if I said you're Legolas what do you think one of the actions you can do is. Uh, I can shoot two arrows at once. Boom. Okay, and if you can't do that, that is a failure of the game to not use theming appropriately. Okay, but it should it should guide your players on what they can and can't do. It should it should assist in the learning process. That's one thing that theming can do. Another thing is that it evokes a feeling, right? So you could have the exact same mechanics in a game and a totally different skin on it, and it would attract an entirely different player base. Um, so like the skin of it really dictates what. Uh, audience, you're you're reaching out to, and the other thing is that um, I kind of said this, but theme really does attract a certain kind of consumer. So I recently backed this campaign on Kickstarter called Eat the Reich. Oh. Oh, I saw. Did you see that? that, dude? The fucking book cover is amazing. I know. Yeah. So if you don't know, it says you play as a vampire in World War II era. You drop into. Germany
0: and you kill fascists as a vampire yeah like your your job is to drink Hitler's blood or something yeah, yeah and it's
1: like a super violent short like RPG system um and so I was like okay I don't know if I've ever played this but it looks fucking awesome and I love the idea so I bought it but if that same campaign was you drop into uh, Germany as a bunch of mummies and you're mummifying fascists that I wouldn't I wouldn't buy it It'd be oh, the yeah. same concept, uh, but I wouldn't buy cuz I'm not into mummies like I'm into vampires. So theming does attract a certain kind of consumer and it does assist in getting those purchases. So theming is a huge thing in
0: games, don't sleep on it. Okay, uh, eat the rainbow. Okay, I'm just looking it up right now. Okay, also the can we just talk about how badass the font is that they yeah, use for dang. that? Yeah. Oh my god. All right, so they're at 406,000 of their expected goal of 24,000. Yeah. <laughs> 9,300 Sixty-seven backers comes to us from Sheffield, UK. That away, UK eaten eaten the uh, the German soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm gonna. I have a. If you're gonna talk about uh, Kickstarter, then I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll sidetrack to uh, one of my preamble ramble topics: is a Kickstarter that I just backed, which I wrote in the the notes. Kickstarting fatty vapes. So I, I saw that, and so I went to watch it. I was like,
1: Are you buying like a, a, a vape? For like smoking, uh, like weed or like whatever else on Kickstarter, I was like, "Oh shit, what is this?" But no, that's not what it was.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it's just a big like eighty Canon, <laughs> Canon eighty <80D. laughs> d. <laughs> uh, no, this something is called. what's it called Smoke Ninja? All right, first of all, you got me there. You got me, see, look at that theming, bro. Uh, yeah, they got me with the theming, and it is like a handheld uh, smoke machine with different settings and different kinds. You can have like fog. You can have like like big. Fatty clouds. Um, you can have liquid ice where it like ice. sticks to the surface more. It looks like liquid. Yeah, and it's in this thing. It looks like a like a like a early 2000s vape when they were the size of a (laughs) a goddamn TV remote. Yeah, dude, it's fucking big. Yeah. Um, So I I was like, ah, there's times where I wanted a smoke machine for effects or just doing sweet shots, do final reveals in your videos and stuff. But I also don't want to, like, this big freaking thing I gotta plug in and be like, and, like, let it get smoked for a while, whatever. But this thing is just like, you just use it like a fucking Harry Potter wand. Yeah, you're yeah. Like, you you and and it like, Attachments yeah. on it too. Yeah, attachments. You can you can get the. I did not do the add on, but I might break down and do that for a, a little remote. Like you can have a little re- little baby remote that you can do it from other spots. But it's really fucking expensive. I did not know it was going to be it's that 250, much. Two fifty. Yeah, two fifty for that thing.
1: It's cool. It's really cool. Um, one thing I learned about using smoke in miniature videography from this guy who does. Like he makes uh, dollhouse scale stuff of like abandoned buildings. I think his channel is called Abandoned Miniatures. He taught me if you want to use smoke and scale, you should film it in um, high frame rate so you can play it back in slow motion so the fog looks like the correct like mo- motion and slowness. Because it moves very fast and rapidly otherwise, but if you do it in slow motion, then it looks kind of like a, a more dense, realistic fog. Wild.
0: Yeah. Wild. Uh, I have a couple other ones here. Um, first of all, the Nova experience. Mm. Nova Open, which I attended a few weekends ago, is going to be the main topic today because this was something I originally was just thinking about of my breakdown of my thoughts, my experiences, my takeaways. And it was a lot. And so today we're going to dig deep into that and maybe relate it to cons in general. Small cons, large cons. We've had um, a couple of questions that come through on our Patreon asking about conventions and what makes a good one and what makes a good small con, a good big con, what parts of what parts of them are the key factors that make you want to attend. So hopefully we'll address all that today. Um, and uh, so I, I wrote this down as a preamble ramble topic just because... Um, to me, the the painting hype, the rejuvenation for me is real strong right now, like painting for display, painting for competition. It it feels like going to these is like recharges the battery. So we'll talk about that today, too. And the final thing I wanted to talk about on this preamble ramble is Lumberjohn. Lumberjohn, dude. So I um, had this company come in and it was just a dude um, that looked like blonde goobs <laughs> um swear to god could have been his cousin. Like it's his Swedish cousin, Gilbert Town Hobby is looked exactly like him except he had blonde hair. Anyway, <laughs> he runs a he's just a young guy runs his own company. It's called like uh cut and leave. And what that means is they come down and they cut down your trees and they just leave them there. Okay. And uh if you don't know, having trees cut down in your your house, by around your house or your yard, is really fucking expensive. Yeah. Um, typically from where we live, anywhere from fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars per tree. Really? Yes. Okay, I've had one cut down. I don't know what it costs, but that seems high. It's extremely expensive. So him, I got a little package deal plus. All he does is drop the trees. Yeah, yeah. Because um, a part of that is why it's so expensive is then they cut it up and they take it all away from you. Yeah. Too. So then they have to have a whole other big trailer. And, and they got a stump grinder. Yeah, and they got to do all that shit. Yeah. You don't grind no stumps. Um, so I had three trees and then a bunch of oak limbs that were hanging over my house in my garage all cut down. But each of those three trees um, had was a double tree. So it was like double... Two trees coming out of one stump and each one was, you know, anywhere from 18 to 24 inches across like big fucking trees, two feet wide. So I've spent my last yesterday was the last day I spent, I think, about nine hours working um, to get everything cleared up because it's just left in my yard and shit. So it's also it's going to kill all your grass and Mm -hmm. get all sorts of critters moving in Um, and going out with a chainsaw and a pole saw and cutting up. All of my trees, hauling away all the brush into the woods. Luckily, I live in the woods, so I just like throw the shit in the woods, <laughs> <laughs> and then putting stuff in my uh, my uh, wood shed. Um, I did not split any wood because you're supposed to you you want to do that in the winter. You know, you're supposed to split wood in the winter. I did not know this. So yeah, because the moisture in the um, in the logs will then freeze, and then when the moisture is frozen in a log. Then it splits easier. Oh, okay, and that makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then it's nice and hard too, and it's not like softer with the moisture during the summer and the spring and stuff. Okay. Okay. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, that was a lot of manual labor. Feel good to get outside. We have had nice weather. Yes. Nice fall we did. weather. Yeah. Um, so that took me. They did that last Monday, and it took me a full week of little time now and then, and then a full day yesterday to get that all done. Dang. But I, I wore a red flannel. I felt. I felt very manly. You grew a beard in yeah. that in that two day span. Yeah, I grew a beard and I just shaved it off, so you guys can't tell that I can do that. But I can. <laughs> trust, trust me, I can. I can do that. Have you seen all the shit in the, the marketing these days for like growing beards? Like all the different like concoctions and shit they have now. I've I, heard of rosemary and peppermint oil put together, and that that's all I've
1: heard of though. Yeah. Those, those two essential oils. Yeah, these little aerator things. No. The, there's
0: it's like a little roller with little spikes on it, and you can like, put them over your face, and it's supposed to like stimulate hair fall. This just feels like snake oil like to the extreme. And in every one of these ads, the dude's got a big, giant, full beard. And he's like, and <laughs> he's already good. And he's like, this is how I do with this with the little the little spots that aren't growing in. was like, like S- S- six months
1: ago, I was a
0: fucking hairless baby. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I you put this oil that comes from a raccoon's anus <laughs> onto my face. Then I will grow faster, and I'll smell like musk. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ. It's like, and there's just like 60 bucks a package, and then and it's like, I looked at this stuff, and I'm like, not because I wanted to do it, but apparently I watched one of the ads, and now it's all over my feed. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm just, there's I'm fine. I can't do it. I'm not going to try. See, here, I also struggle, and I was like, okay, I'll try.
1: Like I We have rosemary essential oil already, because we tried to buy it for like, making a mosquito repellent. Mm -hmm. So we have that, and so we have coconut oil. Apparently you need a carrier oil. (laughs) And then the last one I don't have is the peppermint oil i think i'll put it together whatever i put on my face i'll smell fucking good who cares yeah and yeah. if it works it works if it doesn't then whatever dude then you still smell good And i smell good you still <laughs> smell like a smell like a hippie but yeah see i mean i got a thin sad beard and i want a thick luxurious beard
0: well yeah it has not been that many years so you weren't able to do that yeah so you know you've come a long ways it's happening you can look at where you come i know look, at, look at how far you've come it's all nice right progress. Last thing we want to talk about is the uh, elephant in the room, mm-hmm. uh, which is Broken Anvil Miniatures. Now, we've kept an eye on this. We've kind of been um, listening to the messages that they have been putting out and the the kind of community as a whole and their concern and their comments and this whole dramatic storyline. So yeah. folks that don't understand what this is, Scott, can you kind of give them the, a synopsis of what's going on here?
1: Yeah, so I think... Everything kind of was feeling not great for a while. And then the owner and operator of Broken Animal Miniatures, Chris, put out an update, I believe, on the painting Kickstarter campaign, talking about how their acquisition was going because they're being acquired by a Chinese company. And so he he gave us a story and a timeline about how that acquisition was going and how it eventually fell apart and how it seems like Chris doesn't necessarily know what the next solution is for fulfilling these campaigns. Um, And so there's a lot of concern about how broken anvil is going to continue existing about how they're going to be capable of fulfilling their promises to backers. And um, honestly, from our perspective, and also we've heard from employees that have worked there, uh, assumed employees that have worked there, they've posted anonymously on Daka Daka, an old forum. Um, it's, it seems like it's, it's going in a negative place. Um, we don't know entirely yet. We don't have all the perfect information. Um, but we have our eye on it and we want to, you know, we, we were a huge supporter of Broken Anvil. We visited Mm -hmm. them. They were great to us. We had no reason to believe that this would be the future that would happen, but we are aware that we were a a large supporter of them and we are, we're, we're watching and seeing what happens. And then we're going to make some choice about what to do about, our prior support of them. We're not going to make any rash decisions just yet, but we'll see We'll see how Broken Anvil conducts themselves over the next month or two and see how they uh, help with their backers and address their concerns and
0: stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, we've done ad spots for them here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We've done ad spots with, uh, with our own channels, our separate yeah. channels. And they were amazing
1: to work with. They um, really are. They had yeah. an employee dedicated to working with us that got us talking points and assets on time every single ad and it was it was it was amazing it was the best company we ever had sponsorships for for the podcast easily
0: um so yeah sad it's honestly really sad right yeah and you know we we saw and we could say from our experiences with chris the the owner um over a number of years that he had a lot of big goals, right? Yeah. He had, and he was not afraid to. I, I speak to it in the past sense, cause, but I don't know if you know what his plans or what he's thinking going forward are. Um, that he he wanted to really make a big statement in the miniature industry, and he wanted to take big swings, and he wanted to really shake things up for the betterment of us in the community. And I I believe that. I don't I don't believe. That Chris had any nefarious plans or a pull the rug out from under you kind of approach to the way he ran his business. But he did run it very aggressively. And in any industry, when you do that, you do run a big risk. And it seems like he was, it's just my own personal take on this, is it seems like he kind of, his eyes were bigger than his stomach.
1: We had that thought like when like that third painting campaign came out. We're like, are they biting off more than they can chew right yeah. now? Like it, it it wasn't obvious like when they had just released Dungeon Delvers and then like the next one or and then Rivenstone some some months later. That That seemed like kind of like business as usual. But then it was like the paint thing came out. That also didn't like crush in the same way that Duncan Rhodes crushed. And then the other two hadn't really been fulfilled yet. And so then me and John were kind of like, this seems like too much to handle. Like I'm dying handling one. It's like, (laughs) how can, how
0: can they do all three and not, you know, they're a company, but still that's a a lot of work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. And learning that they weren't fulfilled on a Kickstarter, two Kickstarters ago, and they're launching another one. Yeah, yeah, that's where it's like it was worrisome about timelines on all this stuff. And were they doing this to fund, get, needing a cash flow to see things through? Not, I don't know if that was the case or not, but it seems a, a likely uh, reasoning behind it, yeah. why they were pushing so hard so fast. And eventually that train can fall off the tracks, and it seems like that might be what it's done here. Um, Either way, um, one lesson is is Kickstarters, man. Like, Kickstarters are not a... We we have produced all this product. It's sitting in our warehouse. All you got to do is order one, and it's shipped to you. It is not a completed product yet. It even says that when you back any Kickstarter on the platform. Yeah, it says there is inherent risk. And even if it's funded, like... They I mean Kickstarter does a lot of that to kind of wipe their hands clean of stuff not. Yeah, responsibility. Through. Yeah. Right. But but that there, there should be a a tail in that as well. Um I hope that if this turn if this you know, ideally they they see it through and they they give everyone the product that they, that they ordered. If that doesn't happen, I I hope this doesn't scare off people from starting up their own venture in the miniature industry um i hope it doesn't um stop us from getting all the cool things that are coming into play because of kickstarter from very small companies yeah um it also may cool things off because it feels like the industry was at a very high point in almost like i don't want to say a cash grab but like a lot of stuff entering the market via kickstarter that doesn't necessarily need to be made. I'm not even saying that that was broken. Handle stuff, um, but there's a lot of kickstarters out there now for the hobby hobby stuff. That it's just like, I don't think this is a market need. I don't think there's a big enough for big enough you know community drive for this. And there's just a lot of shit being put out there. A lot of games, a lot of brushes, a lot of paint ranges. Yeah, a lot of stuff that is just like, what is new? What is innovative? What is whatever? You know what? Why is this handheld smoke machine completely different? Why is the the magic stick, the little battery powered drill so innovative for what we do? Because it is. But there's a lot of stuff that, and that's not even freaking like marketed towards us in the miniature hobby. We just found that it it works really well for what we do. But there's so many other things that there's like they're marketed directly for us and maybe they don't need to exist. Maybe this is one of the many dominoes that will need to fall for the cooling off period. And I don't think the cooling off period is, would be a bad thing if it happens because those things that are really valuable, that really will um, find great use and will be successful, those will still exist. So I just don't want people to their great idea or whatever it is um, to, to shy away from that because of a unfortunate situation here
1: yeah all this to say that um we've heard your comments about your concern for broken anvil we are also concerned about broken anvil um, we haven't made any official decision about what we're going to do about like our prior arrangements with them regarding their current behavior we're waiting for more information about how they're going to act before we do anything that tarnishes a reputation um so thank I- you for raising the concern to us uh, yeah. we hear it and we're actively monitoring it yeah
0: yeah we are paying attention as much as you are um, as a someone from the sideline as well. And, and to be clear, we don't have any e- either for the podcast or for our individual channels. We have no existing relationship with broken Anvil. We don't have outstanding That's been a, ad that, spots yeah, yeah for, it's been quite a while been quite a while yeah. And you know the fact that we hadn't really heard from them in quite a while is probably another. Another indicator, indicator. Yeah, Something was going wrong Something was, was not exactly right But yeah we don't have anything existing Outgoing We don't have any kind of uh, The only relationship <laughs> we ever had with them Is they would purchase ad spots and, and then the one time They brought us out there To see their place Which was cool And talk to their employees and. Chris was also my
1: caster at one point It's true uh, For the Duchess um, But that was many years ago Not many years ago uh, That was uh, three years ago uh, Two years ago Something like that But that yeah, that hasn't been the case for a bit all right, on to what we have painted. You paint some miniatures, Scott. You did print some miniatures. So, I, I paint, I, you guys saw some work in progress of these grave proxies last time, and they are fully done. And I have a fully painted H. Sigmar army. Yeah, the cowtails are
0: on the table for scale. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's why they're there. But I got them all done. I got that, a nice, big, fancy freehand design done in that big old banner, which is just asking for a freehand um and demands uh, it it demands (laughs) it.
0: (laughs) i don't think this this banner can exist with just like oh god i'm touching it and something moved
1: yeah it's a very flexible 3d printing resin which i want to talk about actually uh, on the podcast um but i mean I, i i love having all these banners in the army that are all all these fun freehand patterns i uh I get so inspired by the design of the models that it makes me like come up with backstory for my, my army itself. Like they have like chalices on their shoulders. Oh yeah. And so I call them chalice guard because this huge thing in, in vampire lore is like if if you drink a certain kind of blood, you're cured of like your, your eternal thirst. Mm-hmm. And in Warhammer uh there's a there's a sect of blood knights called blood dragons where they drink the blood of dragons and that cures their eternal thirst. And so the chalice is like a cup of dragon blood, which is why they have like dragon wing ears on their helmets. Okay. Um So yeah, I I, I get really wrapped up in like the lore of what's going on and it's just, it's just so much fun to to kind of like paint and think about and think about how it fits into your stories uh your your army's backstory and like we're, we're doing the escalation It's so already like thought of some backstory as to why my army is fighting in like a smaller amount and then increasing in size and it this fits into that um it's always very exciting it's very encouraging for me when i when i like get excited about painting an army yeah i like them a lot i used that new ultra krill red on them um i kind of painted them pretty similar to the skeletons like there wasn't a ton of innovation in this paint scheme other than uh trying to use an oil varnish which i felt like worked out really well and I was like super happy with that, and that was like kind of the first time I was ever like really like super happy with an with an oil wash. But um, you know, it took some time. I had to like gloss varnish and then and then do that and then varnish again. So I think in my next time trying an oil wash,
0: I'll try to do it without an a, a gloss varnish just to, just to see how good that performs. Mm. Yeah, I, I can tell you have some really nice fades in it, which is can always be the tough part with oil. Yeah, uh, is it's either. It doesn't it doesn't kind of pool enough or it pe- pools too much yeah and someone
1: had a great idea regarding that actually because obviously there's a ton of really great recesses on this model for an oil wash mm-hmm. but there's also shallower recesses that don't capture that right. as well what if you had like two thicknesses of oil paint and you use like the thicker stuff on the shallower thing uh and the thinner stuff on like the the more detailed parts you could even use like pure pains gray and just put
0: it down, and then, with a soft, clean brush, like buff it out, yeah, could you do that yes, yeah. yeah, and there's there's all sorts of technique with using oils, um just painting with oils, even on miniatures if it's thick over thin or thin over thick, so yeah, how that works is whenever you you're putting down a thin coat, let's say you did a really thin wash over everything, and so that linseed oil will stay active uh, even though it's very thinned down for for quite a while. And then you can use a pure thick paint, maybe thinned a little bit or not at all right out of the tube. And just kind of place that in like in the darkest shadow and then feather it up because it's got that layer of oil already on there Then it will just create this smooth transition. So it's how much you wanted to go into the detail work with it versus how much you wanted to make it a, a quick thing. I find that my best results in doing an oil wash Are to use it a little bit thicker than I would probably regularly be comfortable with, and then use the buffing off technique to as best I can to try to get those clean edges, to try to get those fades. Um, And then it's just a matter of how much control you have over the tool you're using. If you have those really hard um, kind of come-to-a-point Q-tip things. Yeah, that's the ones I use on these guys. Yeah, there you have a lot more... um, a lot more control as opposed to if you're working with big batches of like a whole bunch of zombies or skeletons or whatever, you can use the regular makeup sponges and just kind of go quick. And, and those are greater for, for something like a skeleton where you have, um, a lot of really heavy variation of the, like the rib cage and deep deep recesses. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can really get a really dynamic effect where here you kind of, you're right. You have that combo, um, which is really interesting. I, 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 very rarely, I don't think any more I have done the, the gloss varnish first. I think it probably helped you here. I think it, it did, it allowed the to, to smooth over um, some of the stuff that uh, allowed it to kind of pool and not have that little bit of a grip. It yeah. allows it to just sit too much. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: there were some definitely like magical reset shading moments where I like touched a point and it was <laughs> like, and I was just like, ah, it was like, it was really fucking cool. And yeah, the harder Q-tips were good, but they were too hard. I think I was wiping paint off of the model, even though I'd varnished them and they had cured sufficiently for a long time. They're real hard. Yeah, they're super. It was so I think I think I think a little bit more a little less firm of a a q-tip i don't know if timmy has any
0: other ones um which is really wild considering you gloss varnish at first which gives you another layer of protection i
1: know and i waited two whole days before doing the oil varnish so the 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 varnish was super cured Uh, but your idea the idea of using a semi-thicker oil wash and then Buffing it off to get not only soft transitions but also good recess shade. I that sounds on paper to be like the ultimate way to do it, and I tried to do that on a zombie dragon, but there was clearly a deficiency of skill. Like I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. It, it turned out okay, um, but like there's like a you gotta know how long to wait, and like yeah. and like the right thickness is also a factor, the right tool is also a factor. So I'm definitely gonna try to play around with that again, and like a, maybe make like a larger, and more softly volumed thing. Um, Cause I think that that
0: definitely could kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. I found way back when I did the uh, video where I painted all the stuff for what was the name of that creature caster game judgment judgment. I painted all the models for judgment. I did a lot of that. I just did base. Basically I just did base coats uh, in acrylic paint over all the models. And then I did like a pretty freaking thick wash and I had like I had, like, in my little dry palette, I had, like, eight colors out there. Mm. And I would move back and forth between colors and then let those colors um, kind of mix a bit. And then i just go back through and fuzz it all off, using kind of working more volumetrically. Because some parts... That fell into shadow, like going down a, a back, like the back of the dwarf was a bare back that was arched and it was a magenta. As it went down in that shadow, I just like left it in there. Yeah. And like you, as long as you're removing volumetrically, you can create a lot of drama. And it looks like you have this, so many more steps that were put into doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, that I really enjoyed that. I honestly don't know if I've been back to it since then, but I was kind of like, you know, you do stuff. For, for the first time, whether it's for a video or for, you know, just doing stuff for your own army to try to just get stuff done, might as well try something new. Mm-hmm. Um that that's what I was like, I'm like, I hope this turns out. Um and I was really happy with it. But um I haven't gone back to it. But I think that there's some some stuff to be done there. Also you and YouTube I just you get the giant outcry of like, Nobody's gonna use that stuff for our games. why are you even bothering with that? <laughs> Also, I don't have an airbrush. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, those two people are the same kind of people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely that interesting element of YouTube where you get you get lost in the sauce a bit, where you are trying to make videos that feature new products, that highlight new techniques, that use new tools, and then you're just kind of like, you're not necessarily painting or doing the things that you want to do for like your own hobby, and it's just like, oh man, I've I've painted a bunch of one-off models that like. Aren't used in anything that I actively uh, like get joy out of, and it's like okay, I need to like somehow I'll merge these two ideas. This idea that I want to support my own hobby while also making YouTube videos. That happens to me a lot, where I'm like, I haven't done anything that's progressed like what I want in this hobby. So then I then make it feel like this, and I paint my
0: last unit for my army. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's great, and I think the video was great too. Thank so you. that's it's nice when those stars align. And, um, yeah, one thing I want to say about that is I,
1: I just want want to say that I'm super grateful to have made three videos in a row that have like, like gotten to that 100 K view mark in like a week. That's kind of like my metric for this is a successful video. Um, and so it's just thank you to everyone out there that's watching the videos and enjoying them and and causing those metrics to go higher and then get more views. You know, I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. I, I was kind of in like a really bad place for a long time performance wise and being able to do three in a row. It just kind of reminds you that, okay, uh-huh. I still I still got it in some way. I'm not a
0: total fucking failure. <laughs> um, yeah, you're not. You're not. Thank it you. it there's ebbs and flows too. It does you know? as yeah. you know it. You know it more than I do, as you've been doing this a lot longer. But yeah. I've, I've, I just hate the fucking ebbs, bro. Yeah, I <laughs> hate them. They're so brutal. You get in your own head. Right? You really do. Yeah, you really do. Yeah, like oh well, maybe it's just uh, I was just lucky for a while, and now it's not.
1: Yeah, and and it, it kind of sucks because you put the same level of effort into the videos when your channel is not doing well. And it feels bad that like 30% of the people that might watch your videos, if you were like killing it, are probably never going to see that video. I know. It's like there's so many videos in our backlogs that we put so much effort into that just didn't perform super well for a number of reasons. Maybe your channel is what's kind of sucking in that moment historically. Um,
0: But it's just kind of like a shame. Uh, I think about that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. The only good thing that I have tried to remind myself of is like, oh, when new people find my channel. Hopefully they go, but yeah, and hopefully they'll, they'll go. And a lot do. Yeah. And a lot do. Then they yeah. I know I do when backup. I find a channel that I like. Yeah. yeah, that's what I do. Same thing. I work through their backlog. You know, as long as they don't post three videos a week. Yeah. And then I'm like, then I'm like God, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, if you, if you feel like the quality and the um, attention to detail has been put in, and then you watch another one of theirs, and it's like, oh, it's still there. And I feel like there's value in going through and just, just enjoying each one. So, yeah, and that's it. So, yeah, congrats, you? congrats on that. I I painted another bug boy. Bug boy. <clears throat> this is a lichter. Lictor. Uh, lichter hardly newer. her. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> um. So, <laughs> yeah. So I watched this video and
1: I have some comments about the things you were teaching in this video. Yeah, that, that are they're not negative at all. Um. But yeah, mm-hmm. tell me about it though.
0: Hit it. Uh. So uh, what I wanted to do is I've been developing this like weird under shadow thing over for a while initially inspired by um craft world studio i really like the the drama that they've combined with drama in color while still having this clean unique distinct miniature paint scheme by the by the end come to find out uh after a little bit of digging and them even reaching out to me they're the way they do it is not the same way i do it um, they do a lot more as they go. And so mine's maybe just the more, maybe it's the starting point, maybe it's the quicker, maybe it's the simplified, maybe it's my own different approach entirely. But what I wanted to do was work with these wild undertones and try to do it in a quick matter. Could you do this in a way where you could feasibly paint an army, not the fastest possible way to paint an army, but could you do it in a relatively uh, short amount of time and it's two basic steps where it's like I lay down all these funky undertones and there is some method to my madness and where I put what and what colors I use and there they they transfer up so I typically go darkest up to lightest and so here right where all the base and um, the bottom legs we need to like the first knee joint of his two knee joints was all like a really like a a dark like a burnt umber yeah and it went you from, went crazy with it yeah And i went from there to like a dark blue up to purple up to pink um but the key step to doing this quick was it's just using layering but every color that i used i had two different puddles i had one that was quite thinned and one that was just a little bit of water added to it and the key is knowing when you use the one that's thinned and when to use the one that's thick so in one pass of any section of the model you can control the amount of opacity of that color so how much of the under color is shown in some sections you don't even touch that under at all to get that pure hint of that color um, and that was basically it so it does come down to practice with it understanding when to use what understanding where light would fall in different sections it's kind of a uh, an overall light scheme I'm not uh, creating strong shadows and highlights based on light direction at all it's simple where you know where would the highlight fall in the the most raised part of this so mm-hmm. uh,
1: first of all I want to commend you on that video because you had so much great footage of that technique you're talking about there were so many there were so many great shots of you like highlighting like the detail of the hands or the legs or the arms and there's so much there's so many wrinkles and dimples and flesh things and you were just you had this nice little sharp tip you're like and you was just, like, just like nailing it all and like keeping it all in the recesses and it was it was awesome to watch mm-hmm. so that got kind of that vicarious enjoyment um you second I think you said this model took an hour to paint. Two hours. Two hours. Two hours. Okay. I don't believe that. Are you serious? (laughs) Yes,
0: I'm serious. Okay. Because every surface was just one coat. And the only thing it was, was, granted, the airbrushing part at the beginning is like five, ten minutes, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's just one level of layering. The thing that took the longest was... Me deciding to do extra steps on the carapace to define those edges in a lighter thing because I went all the way up to black, but then it didn't define the shapes well. And that probably took me another 20 minutes to do 15, 20 minutes to just get that like light grayish blue on that. Mm-hmm. Without that, yeah. So it was probably uh, I, my timer was like two hours and 12 minutes. If I didn't do that, it would have been under two hours. Okay. But. So you actually timed it? Yes. Okay damn! I need to have one of those, like, cool uh, Goober Town big red clock things. Sure, um, yeah. So then it's like you can – see that? Some, some videos I do where I'm very – the the whole purpose is really focusing on the time. You have your phone on screen with the timer. And that's kind of fun how, it, like, they get to see it moving while you're painting and yeah, stuff. I, yeah. like I like that. I like that visual. Um, but, but, yeah, I was – I came into it like, can I do this quick enough? This would be a bigger hero model. And this fucking guy, when I saw him in the box – he was not. He was bigger than I thought he was gonna be. Yeah, dude. He's a big model. That's what I thought. I was like, no fucking way. It was two out or whatever you said it
1: was in the video because it just seemed so big. And you were doing so many layers in the carapace and the kind of layering you were doing on the skin. It's a lot of skin, and you were maintaining all of the recessed colors. And I was like, that would take me an hour just to do the flesh. Yeah. Well, it's
0: there. There's asterisks in it, and one of them is you're most painters this is not to pat myself on the back did not have enough experience with gw style painting layering to do it that quickly i know ha- you're ha- good at it having having done that with that whole fucking diorama like would you call that gw style layering i think you're doing something different than gw would do it is, well it is and it's not okay it is using gw layering up but it's trying to do it Really efficiently with time, with a very thick paint and a thin paint. So mm-hmm. I can control how much of that cool undercolor is showing through. So it looks like there's a way more layering done and way more depth of color because instead of it just showing the grody black or black plus white zenithal underneath, you're just seeing an interesting color. So it seems like there's a lot more there when in reality, it's not. You're just seeing a color that's interesting that plays off of whatever base color you used and it makes a different interesting color. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's. The, the key is is like it's it's not two thin coats. It is one thick coat and one thin coat. It's both, yeah. It's both, but you have to know when you use one and when you use other, and you can just take the brush back and forth from one one blob of paint to the other and, and work it that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, okay, so one more thing I want to say, but I, I, I fear if we did another speed paint competition on stream, <laughs> you'd you take me out. Um, but the last thing I wanted to say is your video came out on, on Friday, my video came out on a Saturday, and we both talked about that exact same concept. So you mentioned having two puddles of paint to highlight different parts of the model differently. I mentioned having two puddles of red paint to highlight the lower parts of the model that are mm-hmm. darker with yeah. the, with a more translucent red, which which dries dimmer, and then an opaque red for the top part of the model. I thought that was so funny. that we, It came out... Day after, we talked about the exact same. I call it variable layering. Yeah. You called it smash chop, like, <laughs> which is a beautiful reflection of like our <laughs> perspective on the hobby, right? <laughs> like that's your vibe, and my vibe is pretending to be a scientist.
0: Um, and yeah. so I thought
1: that was so so funny.
0: Yeah. And side note, I don't think like I am going to continue smash chopping because I think that there's something here in the evolution because I've had fun in the evolution of getting to where I'm at with with painting in this style, and I don't think it's done. I don't know if it will catch on because it's not so ground level like Slap Chop is. Slap Chop is very heady, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Slap Chop is, is very nuts and bolts. Yes. No experience in arts, no experience in miniature painting. Yes. Just follow these... Hard to fuck out steps, um, and your thing—you'll be surprised how good your thing looks. And I think that that's great that it exists. Yeah, this is something that it really is two steps. It really is two steps, and um, and the one thing that that I almost regret doing, and I would have maybe had a second model, was I do say you do not need to airbrush that initial undercoat. That can be just all wet blending with colors. Or just one base coat. Yeah, or right? just one color, let it all dry, put another one with a big – just use a big brush, right? A yeah, dry brush. Yeah, it just – you know, I, I wouldn't dry brush. Yeah, I, that, would, I, that, that wouldn't kind of, work. Yeah. But but like a big big flat-headed brush. Yeah. You could do the same thing. I wish I would have just had a second model and just shown that Yeah. because oftentimes you say things – I don't know if you get this. I say things in a video – and it's like people just didn't hear me say it because oh, I also, absolutely <laughs> either. I didn't show that exact thing at the exact time because I want to give an asterisk of like, you don't need an airbrush for this or you don't need to use oils for this or blah, blah, blah. It's like almost feel like you every time you say that you also need to show that or maybe I'm just then catering to the 1% of people that don't listen and do like to type out comments, oh, I don't <laughs>
1: or they skip around and stuff. Like I had a guy comment on my last video saying, "It's kind of hard to believe as someone who's been in the hobby for twenty years, that you've never finished a fully painted army." And it's like I say the answer, <laughs> that exact question with those exact words, like at this timestamp. So it's like I always just respond to those comments with the timestamp. It's yeah. just like just just watch this part of the video. Like you clearly didn't watch it. That's yeah. fine.
0: These aren't these are fucking two-and-a-half-hour Lord of the Rings movies. Maybe.
1: Yeah, it's like, right. what what do you got going on? you like, that's so fucking important, bro. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, a lot of people were watching while they're doing something else, and I totally respect that. And I, sometimes I miss a thing, but, like, usually I'm pretty actively engaged, especially in hobby videos where the visuals are as important. And if my eyes are paying attention, my ears are as well, typically.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean a great rule of thumb for viewers is if you want to critique a video which is invited by me it's totally fine you need to watch the whole video that's the only requirement that I would have
0: yeah i if you if I do or say something that is funny or dumb <laughs> four minutes into the video and you stop and comment about that, that's cool. That's, yeah, of that's course. cool. Yeah, because you yeah. right? 'cause you're re- you're reply you're responding to that and when I read those comments, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I think it's funny. I was about t- just just critique. That's all I care about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. While we're shitting on people in the comment section, um shoot, I had something and I lost it. I had something really good about I believe you. About well comment section and now maybe like thirty minutes later into this episode, I'm gonna remember what it was. But um, I will say that the
1: vast majority of comments on that video that I made were incredibly positive. So I'm in, in very grateful. So you're not sh- you're not shooting at anybody right now. No, I mean like I had like a couple different. I had a couple dumb comments like you just need to shut up and just do it. Just paint the army. It's like stop converting. Stop stop. Uh, just just use GW's box art. It's like that's not. You missed the whole fucking point, bro. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like a couple comments like that, maybe like three or four, but like the the rest are fucking amazing. Yeah. yeah. Everybody but Jeff, you're cool. Yeah, I do. Fuck you, Jeff.
0: <laughs> fuck you, Jeff. That's our next shirt. <laughs> it's just like we get like a comment, sec, so it like looks like the format of a uh,
1: of a YouTube comment, a YouTube comment, right? Font and everything. Yeah. It just says fuck you, Jeff. <laughs> And it is the little bubble of the trapped under plastic logo next to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. The little like the little heart or whatever on it. It's been hearted. Yeah. It's been
0: upvoted four thousand times. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh man. Jeez. All right. Anything else for the what we painted section?
0: I don't think so. We painted. That's what we painted. That's that is, uh, what we painted. You got a fucking army, dude. I got a fucking army, bro. I so oh man. I got one. I got small. an army and I got a kill team. Okay, check check. I got one small thing. Got a killball team that I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to admit to the Goody Peeps now and to you, because I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> in one of the one of the many um, Magic the Gathering Facebook groups I'm in, the buy sell trade Facebook groups, this guy had some old high end Magic cards like. Tens of thousands of dollars, magic cards, per card. Um, And one thing he was looking for in trade was painted Warhammer armies. Oh. So I sent him a little message and uh, let him know. And I gave him links to the videos for both the Boner Boys and the Night Lords Army. And I was just like, I want to see what you would value these at. I know what I would value them at Mm -hmm. in in a trade. Yeah. Uh, and he never responded. So <laughs> what the fuck? That seems like a match made
1: in heaven. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. I Did you comment about- on the post saying, "Hey, I DM'd you"? Because if I, it's, an, if it's an, okay, if it's an old person and that person that's posting is not your friend on Facebook, yeah, they like they need to look at a certain area to see where message requests come in.
0: Oh, it's kind of confusing. Maybe that. Um, so I would maybe. comment being like, "Hey, I took your DMs. So I messaged you about an army." And I'm not saying I was gonna do it. Just curious. I was just curious yeah. in, in, in you know, nerd to nerd, uh, like, you know, this barter system. Yeah. You know? And I also was like, also, I have to go with the Night Lords army. I have a uh, painted- oh, You uh, wouldn't. Would, you would get rid of your
1: Night Lords or OBR army for fucking cardboard? I would, I would 100%. Yeah. Would you give up your OBR army for a singular Black Lotus?
0: One hundred percent. I would be. I would be. I'd be robbing them on that deal. Okay. Okay. I I don't know what the value of that card is, but Uh, the cheapest, crappy condition, unlimited black lotus is ten grand. Okay. You know, if it was a if it was a nice one, it was a crazy nice one graded alpha. You're looking north of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So would you that if you
1: got that card in this hypothetical world, would you then sell it immediately? Okay,
0: that was a, that's like having a bar of gold. It's only going to go up in
1: price. Is there any concern that magic cards
0: would lose value? I uh,
1: mean, there should be, right? There should be whole, some concern. Yes,
0: as a whole, there's ebbs and flows in the market, but it's just, it is a market. It is it, we're just like the stock market. There's ebbs and flows, but given a long enough period of time, um, it's not a concern. Especially when you're dealing with old, old cards that are reserved list cards. Reserved list cards is this big list that Wizards of the Coast puts out that cards that will never be printed again. They will never make a playable version of that. They will never print it. So those cards, especially the value that they hold over time, only goes up. Some don't go up a lot, but some things like the the Power Nine, which is the cards that he had that I was interested in, um, are like the holy grails of magic, and they're only increased. Like when I, back when I was a kid and I was uh, playing, I was. That ten, that crappy version of a Black Lotus that's like beat to hell. It's $10,000. I really, really wanted to buy one when I was a kid. They had one in the store of the same shitty condition for $225. Yeah. And that was, you know, I don't know, 25 years ago. So, yeah. I mean, it can go up. Who knows how what their ceiling is. But anyway, um, I did mention uh, Conrad Curse. I'm like, also, part with the Night Lord's Army, I also have a Conrad Curse that was commissioned by games workshop to be shown i said to be shown at warhammer world for an event never said it was shown because motherfucker got lost in the mail and never made it there for the event but you have it though i have it it's mine yeah that one i would be harder more hard up to get rid of because i'm really happy with um him and he's kind of like a, a symbol of um it was something that games workshop had a hand in themselves and it's one model and he's cool he's the best fucking Primark ever so yeah He, he honestly he is he's just um, such a badass man I
1: should get rid of I should get rid of my uh, Horace Heresy Army that Jakey Pooh painted for me cause I have no emotional attachment to it yeah who gives a fuck also fuck that guy I painted <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a reminder of a very poor time in my history fuck it I'll sell it for some magic cards yeah th- I don't know I think that's actually I'm gonna come under you and sweep you out and <laughs> fucking get these cards bro no,
0: ain't nobody played 30k <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm just kidding. There was, like, 17 people at the Nova tournament that <laughs> 17. <laughs> uh, it's more than that, but not a lot. Um, okay. That's what we painted and uh, what nobody wants my armies for magic cards. <laughs> so, like, it was a different thing. So, here's my thing with the Boner Boys is, like, I don't like them. <laughs> like, I, I actually really like the paint job that I did, especially it was very early on in my career and YouTube career and everything I'm really happy with how they turn out I really think the techniques that I use and how they turn out for the time that I put in them I'm really happy with them not as happy with the Night Lords for sure but the OBR ones are great I just don't like the army yeah I don't like how it plays I like when they first came out when I had had that army and I was playing it um, because they were just fucking brick shit houses could not be killed just ground just leaned on you and ground you into dust fucking chucking catapults over your head felt so fucking good you could just fucking catapult something for 20 damage across the table 20
1: fucking damage are you joking that's 20, what it
0: was at 20 damage for one hit what the fuck is it was it was variable though it was okay. variable what it could do it, okay. it could do like four up to twenty, so it was this great roll of the dice, and be like, "Ah, motherfucker, you're slan over there, thinking he's cool on the other side of the table, teleporting around." I'm like, "Tong." <laughs> that's such a fucking age of sigmar fucking thing yeah dude. you just sit four well, I, to twenty fucking damage oh, yeah when i was running i'd run f- fucking three catapults you slut and i just like i just like circle them with the little boner boys around them and i just let them just fucking go after your key pieces oh my god yeah it was it was a beautiful day and then uh, the sun rose and <laughs> <laughs> so would you would you paint a fresh
1: army for these magic cards because I don't, I really want to encourage you to not get rid of your painted armies, even if you're not happy with them. It's just so cool, I imagine. It's so cool to see all those models together when you're like 50 or 60 and you have like 6, 7, 10, 20 painted armies. you have this vast collection, like that whole Vinci V vibe, right? Yeah, like I, yeah. I really, I really don't want you to sell your stuff. So
0: I'm, I'm curious, would you paint a whole new army for these cards? Yeah. Um. That's tough. I would having if I hadn't gone through the experience of painting that admac army, I would say I would. That was that was good for a video, but that was the most soul draining experience I've ever had in miniature painting. Because of the
1: assembly you didn't assemble did you see? Assemble? I
0: assembled them all. It yeah. took me almost as long to assemble them as it did to paint them. All yeah. those little fucking fiddly robot bitches. Yeah, dude. It sucked so much. And those like also I gotta say, when I'm painting something for someone else as much as you can tell yourself you're going to put the same amount of effort in you're going to try like you find those little shortcuts oh, and absolutely. you take them you see those things that you wouldn't be okay with in your own stuff and you're like fuck it and and i ain't putting no fucking freehand and no yeah. commission banners no i will say what uh when people have something that they want their way they they pick out the models they do all that stuff you can charge way fucking more because it is to them it is a custom order just for them and the prices on that shit goes way up so for that um in theory i guess it would be an asterisk on what he wanted painted mm-hmm. you know you know if you're like ah, i want a sons of behemoth army i'm like done <laughs> <laughs> i will paint those five models um but if it's goddamn i don't even know skaven or like yeah tyranids or some any, kind of oh horde army God tyranids that's just it because i painted a fair amount of tyranids now with the new releases i think i've done four videos or so on tyranids maybe more and people in the comments are like oh man you should just do a tyranid army now now that you've gotten started and you done yeah. all this shit i'm like yeah but i haven't painted 80 of the fucking <laughs> <laughs> and i will not do that <laughs>
1: so there's that yeah okay cool cool well don't get rid of your
0: armies <laughs> you do I and will, ten years from now, I will yeah. tell you. I told you so. I will say when I put my new wall of cabinetry in, when it's got all the the display drawers in there, and I still need to get lights in there because that will be the next big thing. But when I just put my whole Night Lords army on a shelf and I had them like set up with like the big turkeys in the back corners and the big stuff in the back and all the guys that kind of set them up like almost like you're setting up your toys mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. On the shelf, I that's the coolest I've ever felt with that army. Was having that out there, and now I'm like I'm looking at them all out there like that in that cabinet. I'm way more proud of them when I had them in a couple of damn shoe boxes in my closet and I'd open it or I'd like took it all out and stuff. I'm like, they look way cooler when they're displayed. And I was like, no, I like these guys now. Yeah. And like, I was considering
1: making little, paper placards that would say like the title of the video and like, the year it came out and like putting that by the model or like by the army or the project that you painted in the video it's almost like a little ninja or maniac museum like you get oh. to see what the title was when it was released and when it when it was released and yeah no oh, we can we can make those for the the, the
0: hannah banana exhibit <laughs> oh right yeah yeah
1: <laughs> haven't got a text yet Whew. i'm waiting i don't know if you're like I'm scared. If you're, if if that's a good thing or a bad
0: thing, I, I think it's probably a good. thing I think I'm forgotten. Yeah. It's probably oh, good yeah. Thing. Hannah Banana seemed like the kind of person that lives in the moment, and then when the thing's <laughs> out of sight, it, it gets lost in the ether. Yeah, yeah definitely. That cranberry and vodka ether. <laughs> <laughs> I remember so many details in that story. <laughs> Somebody put in the comments of the last episode. You need to get Hannah on as a guest. On <laughs> <laughs>
1: That would be, that'd be so ratchet if I did that, dude. That would be the most insane conversation. I have no idea where that would go. No, know I, know I, no, I, no, It I, no, wouldn't I, no, be boring.
0: No, it would not be boring. <laughs> it would not at all. Today's sponsor is Titan's Terrain, that just launched Series 2 of their pop-up terrain on Kickstarter.
1: Titan's Terrain seeks to fix the trinity of problems associated with normal tabletop
0: terrain, which is transport, storage, and time. Their solution is detailed, high-quality terrain. All you gotta do is pick a tile up out of the box, fold it open, and you're ready to game. There's no building or painting saving you precious hobby time. The tiles are interchangeable to offer variety in your board setups and fold neatly into a box no bigger than a standard board game. This makes them easy to store and safe to transport
1: a complete battlefield in a box.
0: This latest release is specifically themed for Warhammer 40K and there are core sets and each has its own expansion set available. The Forgotten Furnace core set
1: is based on a long, dormant forge roll that has been corrupted with demonic energies. And tiles match the Infernal Spire expansion set, which contains their tallest piece yet. The eponymous... Infernal Spire.
0: Or if you're looking for that classic grimdark look and feel, the Shattered Hive Core set might just be for you. Set under Ruined Hive World that includes a bombed out Citadel, Databank Catacomb, and tile matches with the Ruined Reliquary expansion set, which is a two-tile sprawling burned out reliquary. Each of the
1: core sets contains twelve tiles for a full forty-four by sixty inch gaming board, and each
0: expansion set offers another six tiles, giving you thousands of options for unique boards. So the Titans Terrain Kickstarter is live right now, but it does end on October 9th, so make sure you check it out before it's too late. If we're going to get a full table of terrain that is easy
1: to set up, quick to break down, and also safe to transport, look no further than the link in our video description to Titans Terrain. Thank you for sponsoring this video, and on to the main
0: topic. So Goody pee is, uh, I brought a, a different energy... Drink today called Alani New because they sell this shit in like a is by the case at Costco. And this flavor is called Juicy Peach. As you can see, it is a picture of a butt. Are we starting right no. now? Yeah, we're starting the main topic. The main topic <laughs> is uh, Juicy Peach and it tastes like ass. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. to try it? You try it? Yeah.
1: This. Well, actually, I shouldn't try it. I'm getting over a little bit of a cold. I don't oh, wanna, God. want to infect you.
0: I have my. My immune system is is, I've never had more confidence in my immune system than after Nova where I walked (laughs) away like a goddamn champ and wasn't sick at all I feel like you kind of always do that I don't know like well usually it's my own fault for um, coming home from a convention with some level of whether it's a mild sickness or just feeling like crap yeah Um, but I also didn't uh, didn't really drink all of Nova um, and I didn't stay up uber late Okay, so I was like every day I felt like I I sucked the marrow from the bones of each day and it was good. It was that was that was a a key factor (laughs) in how I view and remember what Nova Open (laughs) 2023 was like. So tell me, tell me your tales of Nova Open. Yeah. So today's main topic, we're going to go through my experience at Nova Open as this was my first time at this convention. I'm going to talk about the things that were good, the things that were not so good um scott's gonna ask me some questions or kind of see if we can relate this to conventions in general to see if y'all want to attend one whether a big one like this or a smaller local one so let me consult my list because i did write a list and i broke it down into four different categories uh the first category is venue now i didn't really think of venue as a big factor in a convention before mm-hmm. I thought it is what it is. And it's at where it's at. And the convention itself should stand on its own legs. The venue shouldn't be a positive or a negative. That was until I went to this one and I realized how great a venue can be for a convention. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about in terms of venue is in relation to its location. So this was the very first year at this new venue for Nova Open, and I heard a lot from a lot of people about uncertainty of what it's going to be like, and you know what's how's the location going to be like, what's going to be like for traffic and all that. So this took place at the Hilton in downtown DC. I want to say, I mean, it wasn't downtown, but it was downtown. Um, And this is an interesting place. This is where the um, the president does the uh, correspondence dinner. President of the United States has a correspondence dinner at this hotel cool. in the giant room where the 40 K tournament was taken. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, And that room was it's on uh, like underground and it looks like a giant fucking grotto. And it's fucking awesome. And there's like side hallways. And apparently I couldn't find it. I looked late one night that there is a like a security room, like a safety room for the president of the United States off of that main hall in case shit hits the fan. I imagine that's required. Are there windows in this room? No, because it's all under—it's all underground. Okay, okay. Also, this is the hotel where Ronald Reagan got shot. Oh, there's a little plaque outside where all the, the smokers are outside, and there's a little plaque. I'm, it's like this is—I uh. didn't read it, but it was a plaque about that. So he didn't die. So I (laughs) actually, I actually didn't know that Ronald Reagan got shot. I was like, I was like,
1: surely he didn't die. Like I know what presidents have been assassinated. it was was an attempt It was an attempt. I did not know Reagan had his life attempted at a, at a fucking hotel in DC. Yeah.
0: Um, So the, the location is, it's right downtown there. And what was so fucking amazing is when you walk out the front doors, you couldn't throw a rock and not hit an amazing restaurant. That's nice. There was you pulled up the little map and it was just like restaurants everywhere and none of them were chains. They're all like little hole-in-the-wall places. They were all like just interesting kinds of different kinds of food. There was none of it was like super cheap, but also unless you wanted to go to a spendy place, none of it was uber expensive either. Was there this is this is this is an out there one. Was there a Noodles and Company? <laughs> Have you guys heard of this place? <laughs> They've got great noodles. It's called uh, noodles and company. Uh going back to Broken Anvil. Yeah. <laughs> Throw back to them. Yeah. Um so it was I didn't realize how fun it was to have a convention where I we would walk outside, we'd grab people, we'd be like, it was usually it's typically me, Vincent Adam. Um sometimes we get Sam, sometimes we bring the monument guys, sometimes there was Emily. Um, sometimes there was just whoever wanted to go get lunch. We went with lunch with Eric Swinson and Christophe and um, uh, the, the guy that won the whole thing. Why am I blanking on his name right now? Oh, yeah. The Frenchman. Who, who, uh, who the fuck was that? Who was that it was Frenchman? The, fr- the Frenchman that won Best in Show, Capital Palette. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm Maxime Panaud. No, it was not Maxime. But he, was it a French Canadian or a legit Frenchman? Legit Frenchman. Okay. Um, didn't look like a Frenchman. I don't know what French people look like, but I did, would not guess that he was super, super nice guy. And I'm gonna, it's going to bother me, so we're going to we'll look it up here. But he painted the the um, Eldar bust that got he entered it in open in Golden Demon this past year and got DQ'd for and I quote it not being Eldar enough. Mm. And it was gorgeous. Every piece he brought was he is a Fucking heavy hitter. Um, but anyway, back to the food. So we just went with whoever wanted to go. And we could walk for five minutes or less in any direction. And anywhere we stopped, we're like, oh, that's good. We haven't had uh, Vietnamese. Let's go in there. Or we haven't had tacos. Let's go in there. Or this is a shitty little place. that it says it's uh, like, it was like Gianni's Pizza. That was The place was like 10 feet wide. And there was nobody that looked like Gianni inside there and the pizza was fucking amazing and just it was just it felt so cool that we never had to go very far you didn't have to get in a vehicle and get an figure it out and like feel like you were gonna waste two and a half hours to get a meal like yeah. it was just quick there quick out so that was that yeah. felt really good also a block away there's a goddamn walgreens so it's like if you needed anything you want to get more drinks you want to get more snacks you want to vitamin c ibuprofen whatever so, so i think the one downside of this would be that there's probably not great parking uh parking was rough and it cost fifty dollars a day yeah. to park there. Now, Jakey Poo, there is a parking structure less than a block away that Jakey Poo parked at that was like mostly empty and that was twenty dollars a day. So that was like walking distance. We could just load and unload all our shit there easily enough too. But okay. Okay. um but yes, parking was an issue. Not not so big of a deal for us when we have to fly into DC and don't have a car, right? Well, it was about a 40 minute drive from the airport to the hotel. Oh, okay. Pretty and far. Not because it was a great distance. There was some highway interstate travel, but like once you get into DC, it was just it took a long ass time to get there. Yeah. Um But it was a nice, safe neighborhood too. Like I can tell this that when it was getting to evening or dark out when we we're walking back from a restaurant or whatever, like there'd be young people by themselves, young women by themselves out jogging or whatever. And usually if young people that work there, like that is what they're doing. Then I feel like, Oh, okay. You know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> I need to talk to you about the rats, okay. the rats, dude. Okay. So night one of Nova, we was, you know, it's a typical Wednesday GW reveal. We went to the GW reveal and uh, afterwards Adam, Vince and I did Warhammer weekly reaction show Mm -hmm. from Vince's hotel room. That was fun as always. And then after that, we we were invited to the little GW beautiful people event. That's just what I call it or whatever. And usually it's like up in the, uh, they have like a big suite or something at the hotels at the events. And then you go there and then they maybe show you other little secrety things or they do, you know, talk to you or whatever. You can talk to other content creators and stuff. They must not have been able to do that this year, whether they didn't have the budget or whatever. So they just were like, Oh, people are going to this bar and you can all go there. So we go there after we record and it is, so incredibly loud in there yeah. and it wasn't like they had the whole place they didn't have a back room they didn't have anything it was just i had a headache within five minutes yeah it was just a bunch of random people that were there playing the tournament and stuff there too so i didn't even really get to talk to a lot of the people i wanted to talk to because it got grabbed by drunken people that i wanted to talk about this that or the other which is fine i still had fun talking i had fun talking to anybody but for that reason it wasn't your expectation so we left there with, like, a half hour or less. Like, yeah. we were just like, we're, this is just not. So that's
1: Yeah, the sure. noise for me would definitely, like, kill the experience. Like yeah. I, I fucking hate it when I go to a restaurant and it's, You're like, screaming
0: so loud. Yeah. You're screaming when we were right next to each other. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it was splitting, heading with the 10 minutes. And I, I go over to Vincent and I'm like, I'm, I'm not, like, I'm not feeling this. I'm going to take off. And they're both, like, sweet. <laughs> 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 and so we walk back. And we decided that the quickest route, as we pull it up on the ma- Google Maps, that the quickest route was to go through this sketchy long alley between two buildings. Because everything's kind of like row houses, mm-hmm. kind of like it was in um, the UK. Okay. And we're walking down there. There's occasional like flickering street light, like it's out of some sketchy movie. And we were halfway down the alley here, and We're like, Nah, eh, maybe this wasn't the smartest move. <laughs> and I see, sitting on top of this giant dumpster, what i assumed was a cat because it was the size of a small cat i walk look at it as we're because it's right next to me as we're walking by i'm like kitty kitty it turns and its tail is long and pink and hairless (laughs) now i had not anywhere in my brain prepared myself for seeing a giant fucking rat just out in the middle of nowhere okay Mm -hmm. I, I kind of lost my mind. <laughs> it scared the shit out of me. It just looked at me like, I don't give a fuck about you. I'm not moving. <laughs> the rats, not scared of people at all. Once the sun goes down, you just see them. They're just like running around. This is their turf, dude. Yeah, they, they have no fucking predators. You're walking in the goddamn alleys, bro. You're in, you're in fucking rat country. Yeah, there's no coyotes. There's no owls. They have no predators in this city. And they acted like it. And so... Later on, that same walk, after kind of losing my shit a little bit more and seeing the cockroaches all over the streets as well, because those come out at night as well, two-inch-long cockroaches, crunching on them. It's like you're crunching on a, I don't know, like a Frito or something. (laughs) You step on them. I walk by this other big garbage can that's right pushed up against the back of the building, and it sounded like there was a fucking rat rave going on inside. It was like the sound that was coming out of that thing was something out of a horror movie. Okay. And it was just rats in there digging through the garbage. I don't know how many. Just like squealing and like, like. Just scurrying and scratching and chirping. <laughs> and it was like, it's maybe it was because of this big hollow metal thing filled with garbage that the sound that came out echoed. You could not pay me any amount of money to open the lid of that fucker and stick my head in. That's how <laughs> freaky it was. I was lost my mind, but at some point later on in the weekend. I came up with an idea for a diorama where it's Skaven inside of a two-scale <laughs> garbage can that's been tipped over, and they're inside. A two-scale garbage can? Yeah, so it's like, if the Skaven were actually the size of real rats... Oh. And then so they got, so then the big dumpster was, like, tipped over on its side, but it's bigger, you know... That's, 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 that's too fun for Games Workshop. Yeah, it is too fun, yeah. but it was, like... That, that, was, that was how I, like mentally work through this traumatizing experience <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna make a diorama of this <laughs> this moment so, in my life <laughs> so yeah parking not great in location was you know and just being downtown i can imagine just in general getting to and from not great rats not great but overall the location the venue um was pretty freaking phenomenal okay I'm going to move on to the rooms. Now, this place was, if you booked in the block, which was like it was $140 a night, if you booked in the block, the block did not encompass like Adepticon, like basically everything. It was not all of the rooms. There was people there that weren't at the con, and there was a bunch of open rooms. If you didn't book in the block, it's $280 a night. Oh, my gosh. Double the price. Yeah, so I think I asked this question recently. I was like, how much of a discount is it
1: to really book, like, the block rooms that they set aside for
0: Adepticon. Because I don't feel like it's that significant. No, it's not at all. I don't even know if it's much of a, if any, of a discount. It's just like it was. I don't think so either. But here, apparently, it is. One year, we actually had
1: to get a room outside of the block. And I don't remember it being, like, more expensive than normal.
0: Mm -mm. Okay. No, it wasn't. No. But, yeah. And so, also, Adam, Uncle Adam, stayed across the street. At a hostel, okay, which is, like, you can just, like, rent bunk room, bunk beds and shit, but for less price per night, he got a suite in there, which was not very big, but it was a big king bed, and he had TV, and it was his own bathroom and whatever, it was just, like, a hotel room for less money, and most importantly, he had a mini-fridge, of which there were none uh, in this Hilton that we stayed at. Did you bring food to refrigerate? Well, he brought a bunch of drinks and stuff. Luckily, jakey Pooh had a big cooler. So he's like, just to bring the water and everything up in. And so then we were able to throw ice in there. Vince lost his goddamn mind. He was so mad that they did not have mini fridges. And... (laughs) The first the first night or day and a half or first day and then later on happened again, the key card system didn't work. So you couldn't get into your room. Oh my gosh. So you had to have a staff member take you up and let you in <laughs> anytime you wanted to go in and out of your room. That was like kind of out of their hands. It would had to deal with like the company that runs that system. It wasn't an issue of theirs. And it would they actually like they did all hands on deck. Every staff was there. You didn't have to wait to get in your room and stuff, but it was just kind of an inconvenience. Um but their staff was phenomenal. This was like night and day difference from Adepticon. At Adepticon, the people that work at the hotel or or work at the convention center could not give a fuck less about you. Like they do not care. Here, like they treated you like you were at the Beverly Hills Hilton. Like everyone was like, "Oh, sir, can I get you a free bottle of water?" "Oh, how's your stay? Can I help you with anything?" Or like, "Oh, did you They gave out like free drink coupons because of the inconvenience for the deals with the cards. Um, they brought a whole bunch of free Red Bull and waters for everyone. You can just take them and stuff. Cause they're like, they were just really, really helpful. And everyone there, I was just like, God damn, I, this is really kind of nice that the people that are there treat you with a level of hospitality yeah. that you feel like you should get that yeah. uh, dude do, does not work that way in Schaumburg.
1: Yeah. I'll echo that sentiment about Schaumburg. I've never felt like they were bad, but they didn't, they don't really ever go out of their way to help you. Basically, the only time I interact with the staff at Schomburg is in the very beginning and the very end. When I'm checking in and I need a cart for my luggage,
0: and I'm checking out and I need a cart for my luggage. And there you almost feel like you got to know the guy. You know that guy? Yeah, we have to find them. Yeah, Yeah, there's that one dude, and he's there every year. He's a nice dude. Yeah. And like, he's a nice old, shorter, kind of portly dude. Nicest fucking guy. Can't remember his name. But if you find him, he will help you yeah he'll be like what do you need you need a cart okay i know where i can get a cart like yeah, there's none yeah. over here and they're let like me go hidden check up in there. these places yeah. He's like he like stows them in certain areas yeah. that dude is great everyone else needs to like put him on employee of the month board and like strive to be more <laughs> like him yeah but like that's it like that's that's the the extent of hospitality at schaumburg is yeah so it's not it's not nothing to write home about i feel like i'm mildly inconveniencing anybody at any time <laughs> yeah yeah so but this was like it was just a fresh a breath of fresh air um in terms of prices, so it's a hotel and uh, they had like probably throughout the whole place. Um, they had four or five different food station setups where they changed the food out for breakfasts, for lunches, for dinners. You could go through in between rounds. You could pick up whatever you could just go in through and get a drink or whatever. And those people are also really nice. The prices were redonkulous, though. Mm. Uh, Six dollars for a banana. How much was a slice of pizza? I don't even know. It cost me eleven dollars for a Monster Energy drink. <laughs> oh
1: my gosh, eleven dollars!
0: Yeah, and uh, so there was one down by the paint. It's nice that they actually had a full uh, setup of all food and stuff by the the whole painting area where there's all the tables set up for painting. Plus, all the classrooms were there, so I had even one over there. Okay. And I was like, um, I was like, uh, I should probably get. I need probably need some sustenance for breakfast. I feel like I needed some sugar. And then I'm like, I'll go over there and the banana was $6. And I was like, nope, I'm going to go back <laughs> and just like walk over to the Walgreens or something. And then I got sucked into a couple conversations. People wanted to talk to me and blah, blah, blah. And before I know it, 30 minutes had passed. And I was like, now I'm like, I really fucking need sugar. I got to get something. So I did pay $6 for the banana. <laughs> and then my joke for the rest of the con was I ate the peel to get my money's worth.
1: <laughs> so, okay, question for you about that. Um... Compared to Adepticon, how many fan interactions did you have? Was it the same? Was it a little bit less? A little bit more?
0: Um, for the scale, because there's it's less people. Do you know how much less people it is? I don't. I think it was something like fifteen hundred people there. Okay. Um, as opposed to probably about double that for Adepticon. Let me let me Google it while you talk about this. I think the ratio was about the same. So there was a. Um, a lot of people wanted to chat, wanted to take pictures, wanted to, you know, just the random people that say, you know, just yell out your name or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, that was about the same, which was great. You know, I, I was enjoy and and people come, you know, come up to you and say, oh, I'm sorry, so sorry. blah. blah. It's like, don't apologize. I like, come to these cons because I want to chat with people. Right. It's we do all our work like, by ourselves and we don't see the people that watch these videos. So this is kind of a good way for me to connect with and kind of see that and see what excites them and hear about you know their journey in the hobby and what they like to paint and that kind of stuff. So that's never an inconvenience. So it was, yes, it was just like Adepticon where it was a struggle to get from A to B. It was less of a struggle only because it was less people. 6,500 people at Adepticon 2023. Okay, and I don't know the exact number of Nova, but it was... It, and this kind of gets into my next my next topic, which was um, the setup for the convention. It was hard to say how many people were there because unlike Adepticon where it's like a couple of major hubs with main thoroughfares between them. Mm-hmm. Everywhere you go at Adepticon, it feels like a small sea of people here. Things are throughout three different floors and a lot of areas where everyone gets to be way more spread out. And there's the only place that felt like it was super busy was in the two massive tournament rooms. Okay. Not not in the vendor hall? We'll talk about the vendor hall later. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, in terms of how they set that up, though, it felt really nice that it would it never felt like segmented or segregated it felt like there was this you could do with this big long winding path to see everything but because everything was in these own little things that were had space between them Mm -hmm. sometimes the space was open gaming sometimes it was just riding the escalator up and going down a little ways sometimes it was you know having to to go through uh, this side hallway to go to all these other rooms and stuff like people were pushed apart enough that it it never really felt uh, super condensed, and so to me, that was a really nice thing. It nothing ever felt abandoned or like depressing because there wasn't a lot of people. There was always a good amount of people everywhere you went, but no place just felt like you could hardly get anywhere. Okay, so that was kind of nice. Okay, so that is my breakdown of of my first bullet point, which is venue. Okay. Do you have any? Did you think? Do you think about venue at all? I mean, go to conventions and stuff.
1: Because I've only ever really gone to one convention consistently. I, I don't think I have. I kind of just am like, this is what I get, and this is how it is, like everywhere. So I didn't like think about how the venue could impact it. But I think in that situation, it'd be so much less of a problem to like
0: get a hostel or a hotel across the street because walking to and from oh, yeah. is so simple and so yeah. easy. It was, it did not feel like Adam being in a different building didn't feel like he missed out on anything. So that's, that's super nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cause the, the proximity to all these things within just really short walking distance. Whereas uh Adeptcon Schaumburg is, you know, it's in suburbia right off the interstates and stuff. And there's just a lot of major roads. You can't just walk around cause it's two lanes, three lanes, each way or there's highways and you physically can't cross them and stuff. And here I just felt like you could go wherever. Um, just about every morning, um, Adam and I would walk. Um, I don't know. It was probably a 10, 15 minute walk to Krispy Kremes. <laughs> <laughs> Went down to Krispy Kremes. We got some delicious Krispy Kreme cause there's not Krispy Kremes in where I live and I fucking love Krispy Kremes. And the walk was beautiful the day was beautiful. You know, we, we got, you go to the big DuPont, uh, the Chris Queens right on the big DuPont circle, which is this big, like beautiful, like massive roundabout basically within the center. There's like this little like park thing with this big, awesome statue in it. And we didn't go in there, but it's just a beautiful area. There's the, the Metro is right off of that. Like you could, you could take the train in, get off the Metro in a 10 minute easy walk could get to the hotel. So, terms of that it just felt like dc like it felt really cool and then i brought back Krispy cream's hat for vince <laughs> as a gift and if you saw any pictures of vince at nova because i did that thursday morning so it was the first full day of the con i brought it back to him at like 8:30 a.m on thursday morning and the motherfucker wore that hat the entire convention i feel like i've never seen vince in a hat in my life yeah i will show you here i will uh, i mean I'll, I'll share this with uh uh, Alex as well. I, t- I took some pictures of Vince teaching his class in the hat at a <laughs> panel discussion in the hat. And I think part of the reason why was that... Uh, so here's him teaching his, cl- his hat. His class oh, that class. kind of fucking hat. Oh, yeah. my God. It's looks like the dude from a deli. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a little paper hat that you, get, you can get yeah, for free yeah. at Krispy Kreme. I thought, was like a, I thought it was like a baseball Krispy Kreme hat, but yeah. no, that one's great. Yeah, and back up. here's here's him and adam at their uh their panel <laughs> in the mat. and part of the reason why is he forgot his green apron at home okay the Warhammer weekly hi i'm vince so green this apron. is like what like a, a different alternative uniform he he had to have some level of anchor i mean okay, listen okay. vince has some kind of ism i don't know what ism he has and I don't mean that in a negative way. He's got some kind of ism. And this hat kind of grounded him and allowed him some level of serenity for the rest of the convention. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, it, it was like it made him whole again. And it brought him back to did where he Did tell he you
1: this? I think he was just wearing it to make you happy.
0: Well, he did say that he, he takes the receiving of gifts very seriously and he wasn't going to uh, not wear it. Okay. I caught that as one day. It, but he got up every morning. Put that hat on as part of his costume, and he was ready to go. <laughs> okay. So now I think like every year that's going to be part of the shtick. Or it may, like, sur- surplant his uh, his uh costume. Okay. He's going to lose the green apron, and he's going to now just don a Krispy Kreme hat everywhere he goes. Just get him a Krispy Kreme apron, too, dude? And yeah. then, so you don't know he's going to be an employee of Krispy Kreme. <laughs> he can just walk in there, walk behind the counter, yeah. get me some donuts, and go. Just start glazing nuts, dude. Yeah, glaze these nuts. <laughs> um... <laughs>
1: All right. The next part is the uh, the capital palette. Yes, the
0: how that compares to Golden Demon and the old Crystal Brush. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface the my discussion on capital palette by saying this was. I lost my I lost my medals. I had medals. Uh, my medals. i put them over here. I'm gonna preface this by saying this was the best. miniature painting competition experience i've ever had wow what a claim yeah and i am going to try to um convince you and the goody pps to come and attend capital palette okay i'm looking forward to this okay first and foremost it is an open system and what that means is Everyone that painted to a certain level will get an award for that level. So if you painted good enough to get a gold, and so did I, and so did Vince, and so did Sam, we all get gold medals. Same thing with silver medals, same thing with bronze medals. So a category could have uh, zero golds. That's possible as well. There were categories where the winner of that category still had only got a silver medal. So there's a winner of a category and people are assigned personal ratings. Yes. Okay. So for single figure under fifty four millimeters, so this would be like your Games Workshop style miniatures or whatever. Um, that's a category, um, and everyone is graded on a certain level or a rubric based on uh, which tier you're in. And there are three tiers: there is apprentice, journeyman, and master. And apprentice are new painters, you know, or they're or they're beginner painters or they. Don't feel like their painting has gotten to a strong enough level yet, but they still want to enter. They still want to push themselves. They still I did a lot of talking with people that showed me their piece in an apprentice and some amazing painters. I talked to um, a wonderful young lady that she had started painting miniatures in February, and she had come away with two. One gold and one silver, or two golds, and including best in category and the apprentice. You're more. Yeah. You're a more high decorated painter than I. Yeah. She has a background in art. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's in, amazing, that's but amazing. Just wonderful, wonderful work. Um, also, listener to the podcast um, entered a the Enu Kingdom's bust in Apprentice. Um, that one that's got the little jet wings or whatever, mm. really cool. He. Um, flew over from Japan. Oh my gosh. To enter this. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. And he was like, it was just super like, this is his first convention and everything. We're like, wonderful gosh. conversations with him. He's just a really, really nice guy talking about like what kinds of hobby products he can get over there. Cause a lot of stuff, like you can't get it from Amazon and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You can't order from different online web stores and stuff. So he's kind of at the mercy of, um, what, what shops have and stuff Yeah, what shops have. Yeah. Some things you can get from Amazon, but they're like things that are more like widely known like getting the big bo- the big tub of cheap synthetic brushes. He can't get um sable hair brushes at all there. Wow. So he bought a set of um Artist Opus brushes from the vendor hall so he could try those out. he had never tried a sable hair brush before. But anyway, okay, okay. So there's three different categories. That was apprentice. Journeyman is you have some experience, right? You're, um, you know, you've worked on your technique. You've put in some hours. You're not a beginner anymore, but you're not yet a master. It's kind of the middle category. And typically, that's the biggest group. Um, and it was again this year, although the number of pieces and masters was I was told a massive step up from prior years okay. um, their total number of pieces because this is an easy number to remember across all three categories apprentice journeyman and masters with 666 miniatures were on display for the competition which um, and we did the looking at one point I believe was greater than the number of pieces entered at any crystal brush Nice. So the sheer number of
1: pieces there. Oh yeah. I even just thinking about what I've seen in the cases at Crystal Brush, there was like three of those standard sized glass cases, like the whatever
0: six foot wide ones. Maybe maybe three or four of those, and that was it. And that, that's what it took up. And they used the same kind of those like tiered cases. Yeah. And they yeah. had two full walls of them, and then corners. And they ran out of space. Yeah. And they had to they had to like um, they had like IKEA cabinet. Uh, the standard Detolf IKEA cabinets on the on the corners. Mm-hmm. And those were like filled with works from like the judges, which oh. was cool that weren't competing. So you got to see some of Swinson's awesome stuff, including that new werewolf before it had even been shown anywhere. He had that werewolf there. Nice. That new one from. Okay, darn it. I just saw it last night and I can't remember the name of the company. Um, but anyway, his. Um Christoph's stuff, um, Will Hahn
1: stuff. I'm jealous. You got to meet, uh, Kabelzik because that guy is awesome. I've supported him on Patreon for a super long time. I've wanted to make a video where I try to paint one of his models following his exact steps just to see how close I can get to it. I want to do that kind of video for someone for the longest time. And so I picked him to be that person. And so I supported him on Patreon to see like how he paints stuff. I never ended up doing that video, but I still really appreciate his mentality toward miniature painting and just how like, he's just so like, I don't want to call it grin and bear it, but like he just does the work required to get the results necessary. And it's just like, it's an inspiring like posture to have toward, toward miniature painting. Yeah. He is very much
0: a, put in the work absolutely yeah it's it's do it's not close your eyes and put your head down it's it's being aware but it's also being realistic that you just need to put in the hours Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a funny story of how i met him there i didn't know he was there um but i'm at the GW, like their big booth. So, their big vendor thing from GW, they had, of course, their whole big setup, like they usually have at Adepticon, they they had at LVO. They had that there. And I'm just like looking through like kill team models or something. I had some time. I just wanted to go by myself and look through stuff. And people, you know, come up and talk to you and whatever, and that a lot. He comes up to me. I have no idea what he looks like. I had never seen pictures of him before. And he comes up to me and he's all like, Oh hey, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, just looking at some kill team stuff. He's like, oh okay, yeah. I'm like,
1: you get into that moment where you're like, should I know you?
0: Uh, he did not give off that vibe at all. Like okay. he he just came up to me that talked to like just about anyone comes up to me. I'm like, what about you? You get anything good? And he's like, no, I, there's things I could buy, but I have way too much at home. And I'm like, okay, that's this not his accent, but that's how I'm going to say his accent. Sure, it's sure. From Poland, Poland. Um, I think, yeah, Poland because he put does the he puts on a massive miniatures uh, show in Poland. Hmm. Um and anyway, so he said the amount of entries they had it is last year was like 1600 entries. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, in Poland. But anyway, and I'm like, "Oh, I said something dumb about like, oh, what are you here for?" <laughs> Cuz at this point I still have no idea. He obviously he knew who I was, but then he's like, "Oh, I think you know my name." And he flips his card around, his name tag around, and I'm like, "God damn it, you son of a bitch! Like, why did you fucking string me along and just not introduce yourself? Because you know I'm, I'm I don't take anything too seriously." And then he laughs, like he had been he had been like trying to he knew like he could gather that I didn't could recognize him, and I was like, "Oh, you son of a bitch! Yeah. Like you're judging." my pieces a lot of painters like they don't have their face online anywhere so you don't really know what they look like in real life and i was you know then of course i you know i gushed over him a while and told him how much i love his stuff and whatever he's really really nice guy had wonderful conversations with him over the weekend that was just it was so cool because this this event felt like so much less of a rat race it was it felt lively there was energy there was people there was things going on there's whatever you want to do you could do it and you could find it but you i didn't feel as like claustrophobic how uh, can sometimes feel an adepticon or you just feel like you can't go and do a thing because it's overwhelming or you're going to get stopped and talk to people for 45 minutes which is great we enjoy doing that but also just kind of doing a thing sometimes a can be experience. a struggle yeah yeah i just wanted to go and look at kill team models or i want to just walk around the you know, see how the 40K tournament was going and that kind of stuff. I had wonderful conversations with this kid who was playing in the kill team tournament. It was his first convention. He was 13 years old. He showed me his, he painted his kill team and in the middle of his match, like the other guy was doing activations and stuff. It's like that kind of thing and to be able to have that time to wander and find those experiences. It was so cool there. But that also meant I got a lot of time to chat, just like uh, Swinson and Willie Hanna and Christoph. Also, weren't like pulled a hundred different directions. It just felt like time to sat and sit and chat. That's nice. Um, and so that was that was amazing. So back to Nova Open, the open system, as I explained it, masters is the highest tier, right? So, if, you know, people that are really good painters. It doesn't mean you have to have won other stuff before. But in the in the people that take in your entries can move you if they feel you should be in one category or another. And there was a good amount of people that kind of felt on the fence. They didn't know. And they helped, they helped guide them, okay. and so that was great. The entire atmosphere, the entire level, kinds of conversations that were happening, how people discussed things, how people discussed other people's pieces, specifically at the masters level, was so much optimism, so much positivity, compared to any experiences that I have had with Crystal Brush and with Golden Demon. There's just a level of a you versus them in those competitions that is not only not here, but it's so you leave every time you look at the cases or you talk to somebody about a piece or you talk to them about their piece with such a positive frame of mind. Because in theory, yes, if your pieces are both amazing and in the same category, you you are competing for the best in category. But that didn't seem to matter. It was just about every... Interaction you have around the competition was tinted with the shade of positivity as opposed to a shade of negativity. And that affected my entire convention in so much of a better way. I did not have the weight on how I did. It's almost like having just wonderful, positive um, evaluations of people's work. And Vince and I would go around and, and chat about stuff. And Sam and I would go and chat about stuff. And, and and look at pieces it was just like it was just so much more fun and that affected my attitude for everything else for the whole convention and so in know in a way having an open system it just made the whole convention experience like i had rose tinted glasses on everything and i don't think that's a bad thing i just think it was just it was so much more fun and i will tell you this going to the awards ceremony um the genuine like excitement and applause and cheering for people it felt real as opposed to people screaming that they won in golden demon it's it was just like a different vibe in that room like people were happy and excited for each other not cheering for just the person that beat the other people. It was just, it was different. The applause was different. Yeah. The screaming was different. And it was like, at Golden Demon, you have a room of 90% people that are let down and 10% they're screaming for their friend because their friend beat the other people. Here, every it was 90% of people just excited for everyone. And every person that won an award legit just seemed really happy about it. And I'll say this. Uncle Adam entered his very first painting competition of his life. And he entered beginner. Oh, shoot. What do they call it? Apprentice? He entered the apprentice category with a single miniature. It was a Nurgle Death Shroud Marine. Mm-hmm. And he, I. You got a gold, right? You got a fucking gold. Yeah. And Vince could not give him feedback about it because uh, because Vince was a judge. But I gave him my thoughts on it. And I, I took a really close look and, and talked to him about it, and, and, and talked to him about, you know, places where I, I would I could see where it's like I oh, see where this was difficult, and he would he's like, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. And He would just tell me about these things or whatever. And I was like, Adam, like you should be really proud of this. Like this is really fucking good. It's awesome. And it was, and he won, and he went up there, and he was just like he had this almost like moment because he's kind of like a nonchalant, he's kind of like ho hum. He's like he's like, eh. and then he was up there. He was standing up there. I'm like, God, this is so cool. And he. I could tell it like he had an experience he wasn't expecting to have. So that was awesome. I don't know if he's going to keep, he did a video about it. He did. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether or not he's going to continue to do it, but I think that that was a really awesome experience. And I was like, I just like if uncle Adam, who's the person, the furthest apart from wanting to like do something that feels competitive, can have a great experience about this. And I think that's surrounding the open system, which is why he did it um, was really, really cool.
1: Yeah. So I have a couple of comments. Yeah. Um, I definitely can see how an open system would engender that kind of attitude of lifting everybody up and everybody's like here for the same reasons and like we're all striving for the same things. And one thing I I, I think also I would miss out on is the kinds of conversations we have about miniature painting at the Golden Demon cases is talking about miniature painting through the lens of what a Golden Demon judge would evaluate a paint job to be like. right? Whereas at Crystal... Brush or at um at nova open you are evaluating it through the lens of whatever the rubric is which is much more artful it's much more of an interesting conversation Mm -hmm. and also there's more positivity like you said because there's less competition um so that's something that i I would definitely miss out on it's like talking about like the artfulness of miniature painting versus like was this blend smooth enough was this like the right colors for the model like all these was this was this crispy and clean enough and edge highlighted enough like those technical conversations just aren't as interesting or as fun to have so i definitely miss out on that but one thing i wanted to share uh, about my opinion of golden demon that's a little bit different than yours that i think we shared when we did golden demon this last time maybe before that when i didn't enter something and i went to that award ceremony i was able to fully enjoy that that scenario yeah. without any concern i had so much joy for everyone who was winning whether they my friend or, or whatever it was because i had no i had no skin in the game right. and that really that that really made my time a lot better um and so maybe that that just kind of is a suggestion of golden demon and crystal brush and how they really affect your opinion because when i entered Gr- crystal brush it didn't feel like that. I didn't feel right. happy and joyous about other people, or I tried to be, but there's this undercurrent of "fuck, I lost again," um, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't really be happy for other people. I, I, I faked it, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah. But at these last two golden demons, it was genuine joy or genuine sorrow for people who I knew who were striving and didn't get it, or people who
0: did and, and did get it. Um, yeah. so that that that's you know that's something to be said. Yeah. And I, I think. Maybe why this that experience for me at this Capital Palette was such a kind of relief was that I have I've never felt like that because every time I'm at it you've entered I've I've entered yeah and then I have all the weight the stress and everything yeah um I am almost like I uh, i like in a zone and I'm tuned out and don't get to experience all the totally the normal I would say yeah here. I was in that same boat. I had three pieces in there and I. It it didn't affect me the same way. Best of best of both worlds. Yeah. Like I got to really like experience and feel excited for and, and celebrate the people, even in my own category, the people that did better than me. I was still like, man, that's awesome. That's great. You know, it's like, oh, I really like that piece, too. That's cool. It's, like, it's amazing. And one thing about that in my next category or my next part about the Capitol Palette is the judging was it was very clear and the judges when they got to uh, giving the awards made clear that all styles and all approaches to miniature painting are given equal weight in this competition, meaning however you decide to approach your painting of your model, is respected and will be judged based on how well you executed that plan. So that's that that is such a great way to
1: do it. It sounds very difficult to yeah. do uh, fairly, but it's, it doesn't necessarily need to be fair because everyone's being voted on like their own individual scale in a way. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but that sounds ideal, honestly. Right. I think the catalyst to that, especially well, when we think about it this way. The two judges for Apprentice were, excuse me, the, uh, the two judges for, so Apprentice was uh, Vince and, oh, god damn, it, I'm going to blink on his name, Dave Taylor. Um, the two judges for Journeyman were freaking Will Hahn and Sam Lenz. Okay. <laughs> you have two guys that could judge the highest level of painting competitions in the world. And then your master's judges were Eric Swinson and Christoph Kobeljak. I don't think there are very many people in the world, especially at the masters level, that can execute at the level of that those two judges did. Yeah, and they're, I think that's the top it. of the game, 100%. Right. There's probably a bucket of about a dozen, maybe. Yeah, probably about a dozen people that you could think are impartial that can communicate and work together and to hold true. I mean they there was like over 6 hours it took them to judge. Each I mean 666 entries. Yeah, but how it's many... broken down. Right. So right if So you how... say roughly a third and there was less Do you in... think it, that you think how it broke down that was a third? No, there was less in the um the apprentice one, because I feel like a, I feel like a more fair
1: comparison to Crystal Brush would be how many were in the master category compared to Crystal Brush, because Crystal Brush really did not encourage you to enter if you were a, a beginner, yeah, it was or just,
0: or in the, a journeyman, like it was just high end, stuff. stuff. Yeah, I would. My guess was two hundred and fifty were masters. Okay, fuck, it was a fuckload. Um, yeah, it was a lot. Uh, so, yeah, so impartial <laughs> judges. Um, that yeah. really can paint and can observe and can give feedback at that highest level. Um, they did a wonderful job, mm-hmm. even even though they only gave me uh, bronzes <laughs> <That's> Two sluts. <laughs> so I got two bronzes. I entered three pieces. The, the the third one I did not place in at all. Didn't expect to. I just want to bring this is fun and that was my war dog um, conversion, uh, the the vehicle thing and. 40 K that's all grimy to hell. And I know like, Oh, if I would have probably put two to five more hours into that, I, I could have placed with it. It was something I had already done for a video. I hadn't touched it since the video, but it was in the category. I didn't have any other pieces. So I'm like, I had space in my little travel thing. I'll bring it with. That was great. And a lot of people were told me they're really happy. I brought that because they were really excited to see it in person. And it's more grimy than they thought it was going to oh, be. Okay. So that's cool. Nice. Um, The next piece I brought was the diorama, uh, the Soulblight diorama, and I got some really good feedback about that uh, from Will Hahn sat down with me and he gave me a bunch of stuff. Uh, um, Swinson gave me a bunch of stuff, a bunch of feedback on that. That was great. And it actually reinforced to me that my mistakes in that piece were fairly sizable, but the mistakes were not in the painting. And that led me to kind of reevaluate things. Um, the mistakes I made were before I put the fucking paintbrush on the fucking models. It was all in the composition. The composition is flat. The composition is boring unless you look at it from right the key angle. And I stand by that key angle is fucking badass. But if you just look at it and you approach it, it's very flat and it's not dramatic. It needs, it needs change to, in elevation Yeah, or it, it, it needs to create a scene that uses the Z axis. Yeah. You know? totally get that and i fucked that up from the beginning before i even started painting and that that kills me a little bit on the inside to think about it that way yeah, but yeah it's a hell of a learning experience um also one of the things got snapped one of the spears got snapped in the case <sighs> not their fault but they, everything was so packed in and i'm sure when they were moving shit around just a spear off the side got snapped um
1: <laughs> this damn diorama diorama, damn
0: di- diorama and then my third piece was my bunny Buddy Samurai, which I also painted for a video. And uh, funny thing is we're going to turn in our pieces. And uh, Vince was like, I've taken my stuff out, and Vince and I were looking at each other's pieces. He's like, you didn't fucking paint the back of this model. And I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't realize it was that (laughs) unpainted. So we go over to the Monument Hobbies booth. So they had this like Monument Hobbies like coffee nook, which was right across – He's not near the not in the vendor hall, but they just had like table set up where they were. Uh, Jordan and Jason were chilling all weekend, not selling stuff, just hanging out, painting, talking, whatever, which is really cool because we hung out there a lot. And Jordan's there painting something, um, and I'm like, Jordan, can I borrow this corner of your wet palette and a brush and your paints and your water cup? <laughs> He's like, Sure. What's up? I'm like. I got to paint the back of this model real quick. <laughs> so I sat for an hour and a half and I did, i tried to mix closely to kind of tones I was looking for in the, the cool back with the purples and the blues and everything and defined some shapes quickly, did some edge highlighting quickly just to, so it was some somewhat painted on the back. And then afterwards, after the competition, um, Eric Swinson was like, well, the front of that model was painted like a gold. The back was painted like dog dude. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, dude? I appreciate that. You can just cut you can just put period at the end of that sentence where if you have to say the front is painted like gold. Yeah. So I get you know, and I I that was it. And then I'm like, okay, they really like the front. And it really like that fucking bunny looked great in the case. I was so proud of that. Like in a sea of everything was like fucking two, three models deep in shelf after shelf of amazing masters painted like That bunny screamed, and I was like, I'm so happy. I didn't care if I didn't win anything. I didn't have high expectations of the bunny either. But I was really proud about certain parts of that model, how it turned out. And I was just like, I also broke that model too. God damn, bro. Taking it out of the sticky tacked onto my travel case, the model just fell off the plane. When I was going to turn it in, it fell off, and I picked it up. I'm like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. It didn't look like anything was wrong with it. I was okay. like, "Oh, it's fucking sweet." Okay. Went back. They they borrowed me. They let me get some super glue. I super glued them back on. The day before the judging, Eric grabs me. and He goes like, "Did you know that your model is broken, your bunny?" I'm like, "Fuck, no." And he's like, "She." He's holding the sword where the blade is pointed back, but the whole handle of the sword was snapped clean uh, off. And like you could see the grace, the circle. pommel right there. Oh, okay. And I'm like. Then the staff helped me, they grabbed a flashlight, they looked under the table, Grand. This was like t- two days later or a yeah. day and a half later. We're looking all under and like, oh, they probably cleaned it up and fixed it or whatever. And so it was gone. And he's like, I'm not gonna judge you against that. It doesn't have a big impact on the piece. It's not gonna affect your score. It was a mistake or whatever. It's it, these things happen. It shouldn't you shouldn't have your con ruined by that. And I'm like, Oh, I really appreciate that. So Okay, so I was just happy to get a, a prize there I was happy to walk away with these and these these medals are so cool and I look at them with um, a lot of pride because seeing the amazing painters that didn't win awards or also got bronzes or got silvers or the, the crazy level that was to gold like I was like one that's attainable for me and it, my, I left that capital palette driving back to the airport super excited And proud of bronze, not pissed for not winning gold. Yeah. You know, and that was a new feeling for me as someone that's very competitive (coughs) and takes this shit very personally. um, I didn't have that this year. And I was like, this is it was a really weird feeling. It took me a couple of days to process of like, why am I so mentally different about this? I think it's just like this whole system, the open system um, just felt like, this is the way it's supposed to be mm. for art. This is the way it's supposed to be. So That's awesome. Well, congratulations on winning your bronzes. That's awesome.
1: I'm so happy that you had such a positive experience. Definitely makes me want to experience
0: something similar to that, whether that's Nova or, or wherever else. Yeah. Um. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. You're welcome. You. Next uh, bullet point here, and these last two will be a little bit quicker, is okay. uh, events. So, there was a variety of different events here. And I kind of thought it's a smaller ven- a smaller. I don't even know if it's a smaller venue. I actually think this venue is as big or bigger than Schaumburg. Um, it, but the amount of people, you know, it's a, in general, Nova is not as big as Adepticon. They had such a wide variety of shit to do. The sheer amount of painting classes that they had was less. But there was heavy hitter options across the board whether you're a beginner all the way up to... Uh, an expert painter, in quotations. I took a painting class. I took a Willy pa- Hanna, right? I took Willy Hanna's painting class on what was the name of that? It's where it's it was a freehand class. Portmanteau. What's the fucking name of this stupid French term?
1: Yeah, you got it. Portmanteau. Yeah, that's that's, that's oh,
0: exactly. a word combination. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. mambo um, It's where you you're you're painting, you're sculpting with your paintbrush, okay. and then there is an actual term for this. I'm blanking on it but you're what you're doing is you're trying to paint something on the model that doesn't exist that looks like it's actual actually sculpted it looks like it's raised it looks like it's indented a great example is from two years ago uh, Will Hahn's piece from Golden Demon that he won Golden Vehicle with his sister um, with like the walker kind She's of the model. walker thing yeah and yeah it's got like a big almost like skirt on yeah. the walker mm-hmm. and that is painted that it looks quilted mm. or there's like, there's like separations where like the, the parts of the fabric are like pinched down and little buttons all across it. So it looks like a quilted texture across that and that's all painted on. Yeah. It's a optical illusion to look like there's something there that if you ran your finger off over it, is it really there or not? Yeah, And so that's what it was. Very fun class. Um, Good group. Uh, Will is a character as always and a good teacher. Um, He really broke this down and really kept it manageable, kept it our expectations for the four-hour class achievable so we would get to a point where we could figure out what we were doing right and what we were doing wrong in the right portions to make this believable without all of the refining there's a level of refinement which like when you're taking a painting class I always enjoy the painting classes where it's not so focused on the refinement stage because that takes up so much time and you have a finite amount of time in classes Mm -hmm. but can you get to the light bulb moments or at least bring the class across the bridge where there can be that light bulb moment can you achieve that um, and had some really great feedback, it was real, like he did a great job of coming around to everyone constantly and giving the tweaks and seeing like, here, do this here. You see how you have this here. Um, you see how that's not consistent with down here. And then at a level, I should have fucking brought with, I, I painted the thing on a shield. Um, by the end it's like, he gave those little critiques and stuff. It's like, it suddenly felt like this, um, uh, symbol i can show you a picture right now and i'll give it to alex who can show it on the screen nice um started to look three-dimensional nice um and i was really kind of happy with that what is that? Those that always ones. feels good when
1: like you can understand what the what the teacher is trying to say you try it out and you execute and then it, it's working and like it, it, you know the visual trick is is, is working so that was a, I,
0: I painted a, some a space is a black, black, Tem- black templar black yeah. templar symbol on a uh on a shield yeah
1: dude you feel
0: absolutely nailing it yeah there's there's a bit of um you know a bunch of refinement re re re-evaluating the the lighting and everything but it's a lot of it is really dealing with lighting yeah you know and if you can get the lighting right for how if an object was that shape that you are painting on a flat surface Mm -hmm. if it wasn't flat if it was arched if it was spherical if it was a cylinder how would light hit that so all of this is like it, it it kind of reinforced to me the big one of the big takeaways that I had in a lot of ways that will talked and also a lot of ways that in conversations I had with Eric Swinton over the weekend too how the way they talked, so much everything comes back to light. Can you deceive the eye that that is the way the light is telling a story and that story is consistent across the piece? Yep. If you can do that, no matter which way you're trying to achieve it, if you can be consistent in that, it just makes such a massive impact. So yeah. it kind of led me from taking that class, um, you know, walking away pretty excited.
1: Right, yeah, it kept reinforcing all the things you heard everyone else saying there at the con. Makes right. Sense.
0: Okay, also, they had as many or more open painting areas there as they do in Fort Wapple. I think it was quite a bit. It's kind more. of scattered across the con or no. There was a one spot in the whole long hallway where all the painting classes took place. Okay. Um the whole um building is shaped like a giant curve. So it's like half of a cylinder is the shape of the building that goes up. So on the inside of that curve there's this giant um like outside like, sitting area, there's a bunch of areas with big, like, couches, outdoor furniture with, like, fire pits and stuff, which was also fucking sweet to hang out in the evenings and just chat, painting. That does sound super fucking nice, yeah. But, so, that was the outside window, and in that painting area, there was single, um, like, uh, like, regular tables set up in a whole line all along that curve and there's probably 15 of them maybe 20 just ran and they had paints there they had tooth and coats paint i think army painter and monument well monument um uh sponsored the capital palette with big cash prizes and stuff too that was fucking sweet and um was the cash prize best in show I think it was 1500 bucks. Fuck yeah, dude. Maybe it was more than that even. That's a nice chunk. I don't, no, no joke. And it was presented to you. So they have their brush cases. Um, but they're, they, they're, gold, they're, they're like red or black or gray or whatever. And they had made gold brush cases because um, they're just bigger than the size of a dollar bill. Okay. And they were like fucking shiny gold. It wasn't just like a yellow material. It was like the fabric was like glittery gold. Yeah. And you unzip the brush case and it was just filled with cash. <laughs> <laughs> and they just they didn't give you fucking checks they gave you the brush case filled with cash that's awesome yeah and that was great um so so yeah they had a ton of, and it was always busy there was always people there painting and there was always hanging out going around there so that like it did not feel like a drop-off whatsoever from the hobby side of people hanging out and just there to paint or whatever so that was awesome okay. the big ass 40k tournaments the big ass uh, Middle Earth tournament I think the, that's the biggest Middle Earth tournament In the United States Goes there And their fucking display boards are Like the thematic Different regions Of the boards That they were playing on there Were fucking bananas I wish I would take taken more pictures Just awesome They had a whole fucking board That they played on That was the fucking Shire And like your armies Are going over the Shire That's awesome And they had all Like they had one for Rohan They had all these different awesome places so that was cool and the Age of Sigmar tournament was cool so the big ass tournaments they had big spaces they had giant rooms they had it, those felt as kind of weighty as they do with Adepticon so that part of it the the, the weight of big tournaments being played that was there. Weren't missing out on that. Big GW reveal event was there it was at they had a better sound system they had a big crowd there not nearly as big as Adepticon crowd. How was it a better
1: sound was. system?
0: Like it was just clearer to hear what the what mike brant was saying okay so in the past you've had trouble hearing what they're what they're saying at gw events yes okay um it made me think like oh we it was crisp enough or it's like oh we could have done top live in that room and it would have worked because you didn't have this almost kind of a dual echo or a bit of a um thing so that was nice okay um they also kept it a little bit more shortened to the point there which was cool um the final thing of events and this was a bigger thing they had a ton of small games a ton of ad hoc events a ton of things that anyone could run and i know they have some of that at adepticon but there was a ton of like um RPG games you could sign up for, you could go to magic events, you could try out all sorts of board games, you could sign up for trying this new indie game, you could do all sorts of stuff that were just, it was like, it always felt lively that there was things all the way up into the evening that were both come here and find a random group of people and play a thing, and pre-organize things, that it just felt like more controlled chaos, Whereas Adepticon to me, especially like in the evenings and the smaller events, just feels like chaos. Chaos. <laughs> it just feels like I don't even know what's going on here. Yeah, you know, like, Malev's the that... over there drinking Long Island's and playing yeah. relic play. What's going on? Yeah. yeah, there's
1: like not there's not a lot of obvious things going on in the evening. There's like trivia, like one night, and like there's like whatever, like fucking laser tag or some random bullshit. Yeah, but it's not there's not many obvious things. They had panel
0: discussions.
1: See, I fucking man, what a. You know, you know me. I got fucking things to say, bro. Yeah, I, get, get me on a goddamn panel. I would talk someone's goddamn ear off on a panel. Was, uh, or, would, s- or listening to one. I love it. It felt like, oh, and
0: I sat in on two of them through the whole things, and I enjoyed them both. I know, dude. It was just fun, because you could just jump in and yeah. sit down, and there was the seating for like 30 or 40 in the room, and most of the seats were filled, and it was just cool. It was like, it felt like that's the kind of thing that it's starting the snowball down the hill of us being more like a comic con, right? Yeah. Of like offering things from a attendee perspective that aren't a proactive engagement, right? And that just felt cool because you don't always want to be doing and still feeling like you're enjoying the con. And that that was great. So yeah. um, it just felt like they had a lot of space and they had a lot of ways, um, ability for people to create events like that get them going and get people to sign up for them and still just be open to um, to having people pop in if they wanted to. Yeah. I would say one thing that I love about cons is
1: how you feel like you're steeped in the industry of miniature painting, like the bleeding edge of it. You get to see all this new technology, all these companies that are making these new games. The developers are right there to answer your questions. The people making high products are right there to answer your questions. So you feel like you're really in it. And I really love that about cons. And the the really the only place you get that at Depticon is in the vendor hall. You have to you go and you see the people, you see the new technology, you see the creators, you can talk to them, but that's it. Like if, if there was a panel of like all indie game designers and someone led it and asked them questions or display painters and asked them questions about like, you know, where you're at in the world, how does this compare to where you're at in the world as an American painter or a Spanish painter and like there's so many
0: awesome opportunities for that and I would love to have more of that, yeah. Uh, one night there was a live band. I, nice. I can't say who was in the band because they may get in trouble uh, with their employer. But there was a live band, and <laughs> some fuck. Some of the, well, which employer that would have been present there would be unhappy to find out about things that their staff was doing. Yep. Um, but uh some of the music was uh really memey. Some of the music was good. Some of it, like it was great. It was just so that was fun to hang out there and uh uh just uh have a good night with that. <laughs> but that was just it was something to do. You just like hop in there, it's like, oh these fucking guys are in here and playing REM. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> and, and Uncle Adam and I are in the back, like I, he was in the back like a crotchy old man and then I was like talk to him and he was just oh, you know, we had a bunch of fun. Uh Hung out and laughed and and jammed out with some emo music with Andy from uh, uh, Games Workshop and uh, screaming lyrics to each other at the top of our lungs, two inches away. That was a fucking great time. It was just it was just a thing, right? It was just like a thing, and it was not like it was like a big. It, it was a sizable room, but it wasn't like a massive room, and it wasn't like it was packed. But there was a you know enough people in there that it felt like energy or whatever, and mm-hmm. and so that was just a fun thing. It just felt like there was like you could just like hang out and walk around one night and you just find something fun whether it's sitting down and playing massive Jenga <laughs> or you could or you could just walk in and there's a band plan, or it's like people would be like hey you come over here you want to learn how to play this or whatever like it just okay. it felt a li- it, it felt like it was a big event that but it didn't lose like it's identity yet like it's you get to a certain size where it just kind of you're you're just a faceless body in a crowd okay you know like a like we assume Gen Con is
1: yeah. So let's let's wrap it up here. Okay, let's wrap it up. What? So which is better? Crystal brush? Sorry. Adepticon or Nova Open? Which one, if you had to pick one to go
0: to every year, what are you picking? For the rest of my life and I can never attend the other? Yep. It's actually really close. And I I I don't know if I had to pick. I don't know which one I'd choose. One thing that I went into this event for was to figure out, and I'll say one of the let's say the I would pick Nova Open in a heartbeat if it wasn't for one pretty massive downside that I actually don't know how massive it really is. Is the vendor hall is tiny compared to Adepticon. It's one long hallway. It's probably twenty ish vendors, maybe twenty vendors. Okay, yeah, yeah that's not and that the lot. Bits Dude is there, so there's that. There's okay. some other heavy hitters bits like dude. Uh Goblin Hut with all the dirty down stuff. I got to see. It in, check out some of the new stuff. Artists Opus is there. There's some great uh, other stores that just carry a bunch of products that you get at your stores. Um, so Blacksite Studios. There's some good stuff oh, nice. there. nice, So there was some great stuff there, but it was not nearly as much. And I love going through the vendor hall, which maybe was a good thing that there wasn't a lot there um, because... I, I really struggled to even close my suitcase for the stuff I did get to get back on the plane. <laughs> but that that's, that's probably, that is the biggest downside to me. If I were to say to the um, people that run Nova, which I talked to, really nice people down to earth, very wanted to be engaged the whole time, really felt like genuine people. Mm. Um, I would say that to them that is your that is the the task i will leave with you growth opportunity grow that motherfucking vendor hall get some cool shit in there yeah but literally everything else you just it's fucking awesome it will grow organically because it's so awesome and i think the massive jump of of both attendees and growth and capital palette over the last year alone like this this thing is going to keep keep going so I'm, i'm really happy what I will say is this. The best thing, the most positive thing I can say is this is I fully intend to make this an every year thing for me. It is that much fun. It nice. is that good. I was, do I tell people throughout my time there it was like, oh, this, I tell people this is my first one. They're like, why haven't you come before? Or like, why now? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, I want to find another one um, that is different but hits a lot of the things that I really enjoy about Adepticon. And I honestly could not pigeonhole a convention that does exactly that more than this does it's different enough in so many ways and that's why i like because they don't they're not doing the same thing but just one's better than the other they're they're doing things differently and that makes them unique things so i really really enjoy this i fully intend to go back i want you to go back i want you to come with it doesn't have to be next year. Should be. But I, I watch because I think you would really, really like this. I
1: think I would. I think there's a lot of, lot of conventions that I would definitely enjoy. And, I mean, yeah, the way you're describing it, it sounds all good, honestly.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, grand, it's a grand old time. So that's my, that's my overall takeaway to the people of NOVA and all the volunteers and the people that work there. You did an amazing job. I was thoroughly impressed and cannot wait for next year. So one question
1: I have for you before we fully close out here is do you think um, Nova Open is going to grow to have similar problems that you've cited as Adepticon or do you think they'll be able to grow and maintain
0: all the positives that you have uh, kind of illustrated for us? Well, everything that I heard from both the people that are running the event and from People explaining the change in this new location was to try to stay at one step ahead of that to not get to where you're growing beyond your means and it the cracks start to show. And so they made this step to where they can manage and deal with the small incre- incremental changes over time um, and not have to worry about cutting corners to just keep the thing afloat. And so I felt the way that they're trying to be forward thinking about things was really kind of reassuring. Um, it might get to a level where it's like, you know, they just need more administrative help to, to do it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that is that's an issue with, you know, with Adepticon. It's just so big that it's it's just really hard to wrap your arms around and control. Yeah. Um, so. that, and also Nova Open has this like charity
1: thing that, like, people are on staff for all year round. And so, like, they're probably thinking about the convention as well all year round. Which, not to say they don't do that for Adepticon, but Adepticon has one event they run all year, and it's just the con. But whereas Nova Open Charitable Foundation, NOCF, that I believe runs Nova Open, Mm -hmm. has events
0: every quarter at the very least for, like, stuff they're doing. Yeah, I think from your interview with one of the guys that founded Adepticon, It feels like it is a – I don't want to say – burden is the wrong word. But it's like it is one thing, and they all have their regular lives and their regular jobs and everything. Yeah, that's what it is. And, like, it's just a monster that they're not really –
1: It's insane how they're able to do what they do now. Yeah. Considering that. Yeah.
0: You need to have an infrastructure in place, it feels like, for these things that are getting to this level, even before this level, to really allow the time and commitment and salary – to yeah? do this yeah yeah so big time all right that was
1: awesome thank you for sharing your experience with uh nova open i'll uh i'll share my experience with uh monty Savino when i come back from that and we can compare notes um but on to the news uh first thing i want to mention is uh ash barker of gorilla miniature games is trying to make it to 10 years on youtube and he recently had a, a little bit of a financial burden kind of rest on his shoulders where he was renting out a space of his office to a tenant, and it was a fairly large space, so it was a, it was a sizable. It was a good income stream, and they left. And so now he has lost that income stream, but he has more space now. And so he's going to take that space, and he's going to go gung-ho with YouTube with it, do kinds of battle reports that he always just wanted to do, a level of production he's never been able to attain because of his increase in space. And uh, hopefully because of that, he's going to uh, earn uh, more revenue to replace that lost income stream to make it to 10 years, which was his original goal for YouTube. Um, but also, hopefully, um, like the the good content is just received well by viewers and in, in, in like the extra effort is uh, rewarded. Um, so if you're interested in supporting Ash Barker and like all of the reporting he does on like indie games and stuff like that, check out his channel. I'll link below. And also you can support him on Patreon.
0: Go. Okay. One that's not on here, but I wanted to mention it because we talked about the Nova Open Charitable Foundation, is that uh, the giant uh, Warlord Titan diorama that Oh yes, Emil and Lucas did for the Squid Mars channel um, is being ra- auctioned off with raffle tickets for Nova Open Charitable Foundation. And I can't remember what the number was off the top of my head, but they had already sold a ridiculous amount it was like a hundred k in some short amount of
1: time. Yeah, hundred thousand dollars like, worth of tickets. And there was like it was like it was like two days after it got announced, and there was, it was like a
0: week left or whatever some amount of time left for tickets to still be sold. So yeah, it might still be up. I don't know when that that ended. I think it might still be going. So by the time you see this, you might be able to see that. But um, there's also like a a bounty offer out there. So if you your number is drawn and you win the diorama there is a third party I think it's a store or whatever oh that yeah. is, would offer you twenty thousand dollars so you can either get the diorama or twenty thousand dollars yeah um subject to taxes of course yeah but <laughs> might be taxes for both I don't know what they're gonna value that thing at you're gonna have to end up paying a grand to win the warlord Titan diorama oh my gosh that'd be brutal but uh <laughs> be funny it's like you you win it shows up at your house you explain it to your wife where this fucking thing's gonna go yeah 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 oh god damn
1: yeah and if it goes to any country that's not the u.s as far as i'm aware you're gonna have to pay some kind of import tax on it and yeah how do you evaluate that like what the fuck is customs gonna do with that thing like i don't want to be the person having to worry about that like that would be so stressful
0: i i I bought a couple tickets for it. Did you? Because if I, if I win it, yeah, dude, want yeah. The fucking content, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking literally. I broke Squid diorama to make it better. <laughs> yeah,
1: there you go. I mean, it's definitely worth the investment. I would say. Uh, Gw revealed a bunch of new stuff at uh, Nova Open, but the, the one that's most notable to uh, John and I is there's mm-hmm. a little Blood Bowl vampire team. Oh man, and it is it is. Heavy on the vampire, light on the blood bowl, just the ratio we like. I know. So there's (laughs) not a ton of, like, sportiness going on. There's a lot of just, like, what could be generic armor if you, like, you know, none of them are holding weapons because they're playing a football but, like, you could you could put a sword in that hand that's clenched fist. You could put a spear in that, and then suddenly you got a fucking warrior. And so... Dude, vampires don't need weapons. They're fucking
0: vampires. That's true. Right? Right?
1: You can just call people to death.
0: Dude, they have poofy shirts. Can we not <laughs> glass over the fact that these vampires are wearing poofy shirts, which is amazing we don't
1: get enough poofy shirted vampires in in age of sigmar or just in warhammer in general these will fit right
0: in to not only age of sigmar but old world dude these are fucking Old World vampires also mm-hmm. more time yeah dude more not vampires more not vampires. i got poofy shirts
1: what about that uh oh, hold on now. there's that uh, there's that rpg setting that's all about vampires don't don't they do poofy shirts or is that more of a modern timeline are you talking about like drink the reich or whatever it was no not not eat the reich oh that's vampire it. the masquerade yeah yeah isn't that the masquerade
0: isn't that like poofy shirt vampires that's mostly just vampires x that's that <laughs> that whole game is <laughs> like, regardless of bro, decade bro anybody that tells you uh, starts talking to you about vampire the masquerade and they don't just straight up tell you this is about role-playing vampire sex is a liar. Okay. Because that is what that game is. You read the rule book, dude, and you'll be like, oh, there's (laughs) rules for all this? Yep. Blood Orgy, page 174. (laughs) You're going to see it. There are rules
1: for how effective you are at vampire sex.
0: Yeah. It's a 2D6 system. (laughs) (laughs) 3D6? How many dicks? (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'm not shitting anyone that plays... Vampire Masquerade. Uh there's some other cool stuff that's coming out there too. Like they have these like nasty looking things that I thought they were for um uh what the fuck are the why can't I think of the undead army? I have no, no idea. The the flesh eater corps. Fuck me. I can't oh. That they they're, they look like pale like kind of like like trolly ogre looking things. Yeah. But they I thought they were for um flesh eater corps, but they're not. They're uh ogres. Oh, um, and they're really cool. They're under I don't know if he wrote it down here. D- Deep versus is demons, not that one. But it's um it's the one where I think they're versus it's a warcry one where it's those guys versus new um Cities of Sigmar guys. Okay. And there's more dogs, more dudes of sweet uh uh Arbalists and shit? Like, that box looks badass, but... Okay. Um, okay. I
1: don't think I saw that one, actually. Yeah, you're gonna, have, oh, I'm gonna... I'm gonna find out for you later. The other one that I saw that I fucking love was the Lady of the Lake, dude. That Bretonian model is gorgeous. I'm mm-hmm. gonna paint the shit. Probably not. Okay, I'm not gonna commit to anything, okay? I want to paint it. It's an amazing model. I love I it. You should paint it for Golden Demon. <laughs> <laughs> <It's not bad. laughs> you, could, you could have her, like... Standing in front of a pool of water that has a sword just hovering right in it. Well that's mm. that's that's not Warhammer. Yep. That is that is uh that's something else. Although oh, Lady of the Lake comes from that place, so whatever.
0: Um, I want to talk about. Oh, is it you? Is it me? I don't fucking know. Because uh, well, I'm going through here and finding the things that speak to me. Um, Turbo Dork releases silicone dry palettes. Okay, does this do these work? Does the paint actually pop out of this? Okay, these are called these are called poppets. I know this because I have roughly two dozen of them in my house because my daughter liked them for a while when they were very popular. I'm a toy. Sure, yeah, they're a fidget toy. I'm sure that's where they came from. Somebody's kid had one of these and they tried it, and now you. It's not just Turbo Dork. I know they're releasing. Them them now but there's other companies that are making these four miniature painting but yeah they're just silicone i think that they would be good for things like contrast paint where you'd want them in a dry palette or washes and so they're not overhydrated or whatever and then the paint dries and you just pop the thing the silicone bubble the other way and then they should pop off uncle adam has been using this kind of thing for a while and he did a video on it And he says it works. Okay. Because I I didn't know how flexible acrylic paint was. One thing that really
1: uh, frustrates me with the miniature industry, whenever it makes a product or advertises a feature of a product, it's like, fucking show it happening. Like, you can even take a still image of, like, you reversing one of those domes, and you see, like, the cup of, like, a previous dry... Just show me it happening. I don't want to believe you. I want to see the thing... If you say your paint range does a a thing... Show me it in a video, in an image. Show me it happening, please. It could
0: just be a little gif. It's so like, doo, simple. Doo, doo, doo. It's so simple. It gives you so much buyer confidence. Like Just, just show me it working, please. I have not seen that three-second clip. Um, it Maybe it's out there, but I have not seen what you are asking for, which is the same reason I'm like... <laughs> because I have not seen them pop it around in the thing... Pops off and you just peel it off like a yeah. fucking scab? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I want to see. I because the see. acrylic paint has enough give to it. Yeah. I assume when you flip it around, the thing's just going to whoop. It's going to conf- invert. Yeah. It's, it's gonna- pretty flexible. Yeah, the, f- the paint's going to fucking
1: flex. So, like, maybe other, like, maybe, like, Mod Podge Dimensional Magic or, like, PVA glue. Like, that would definitely pop out. Yeah. Or, like, like you mentioned, like, maybe, like, a contrast paint or, like, a wash. But, like, show me a couple of different products. Show me it working. Like, I, I, just, I want
0: that. I don't care if standard acrylic miniature paint doesn't do it because I'm not a goddamn heathen that yeah, paints with a, that shit dude I want I, but if it that's, that's what I'm talking about contrast paints and washes baby things that I don't want that extra variable of the moisture that is in my wet palette fucking with mm-hmm. you know if I'm gonna add more water to that I'll be on my dime Okay, not you wet palette yeah wet palette fucking get out of here get out of here
1: uh, Creature Caster has rolled out Judgment uh eternal champions which was a campaign that launched on kickstarter a long time ago but now it's available for regular retail purchasing so if you want to play the moba inspired actual moba inspired game a lot of games will say they're moba inspired but really only two do it sky Tear is a moba a, a tried and true moba and then judgment has mobile like elements
0: um if you want it it's available now for retail uh, Kingdom Death are opening up orders for the Gambler's Chest expansion once they fulfill all of their Kickstarter campaign. So if you wanted to paint that big, weird crocodile worm thing that I did, that's in this expansion. Okay. Seven monsters, 46 narrative miniature sculpts, and six game systems. I
1: feel like I've seen three versions of that, f- that thing you painted. It's
0: the thing that everyone's painting. It's right. kind of crazy. Surely there are other cool things to paint in that box. Surely. Surely. Surely there are a lot of them. There's a lot of sweet, like, dudes and ladies. Okay. Big boobies. Okay. There's a lot of those in there. There's not a lot of big monsters. There are some. Really? Yeah, there are some big monsters, but there are, like, some of them are so much shit going on. Whereas this is more, like, attainable. Of like, oh, I'm going to paint the monster, I'll do this one first. That's okay. what I think everyone had that same idea. Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, lastly, Kickstarter corner. This is from our writer, James. He is highlighting the Omni 2 modular storage case. Have you seen this thing? I think I've seen ads for this in my Facebook feed. Let me look at it. So this is a 3D printable, customizable storage case in three sizes, uh, and you print it out. So my my massive issue is this huge disclaimer with this product is that, yes, it's modular. You can make these nice little cubes for your models and prints to stand in. But I don't think, and I'm ready to be wrong, I don't think anything fastens the model down in place. I don't think anything is holding this thing uh, tight to anything. I think you need to use tape or you need to use poster tack. Which, yes. If you're going to make a product that is for Distributing painted models Which this is not for Painted models exclusively It's also for Prints that Don't oh paint on them I feel like you should have Some way of fastening The model down That's pre-planned And I feel like tape And post it Kind of feels like An afterthought to me Like if I go to a game store And I'm bringing my army Ugh. Could you imagine unpost tacking Like 20 skeletons Ugh. How about 100 zombies It's like Ugh. Like it's just not gonna And tape is not gonna work Exactly All these
0: things Why could they have A little divot in there Where a fucking magnet Goes in each of these I, I just assumed that was a part of this because that's fucking obvious. Right. And so it's cool. I love how it's modular. I love
1: I mean like you can that works yeah, great, yeah, but like three-dimensional modular. And it looks cool on the outside. It's like a, it's like a cool looking thing, but it's like that's like a a massive oversight for miniature painters if that was one of their target audiences. This thing okay. They, could be wrong though,
0: could be wrong. Their goal to hit was five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. It's at three hundred and seventy-six thousand dollars. Who the, how?
1: It's just hype, man. It's like a cool fucking thing. It's cool. It looks cool. There's potential. But there's a lot of fucking work. You got to print a lot of shit. I watched Uncle Jesse's video on it, which is is why I'm pretty sure about the whole fastening critique. He didn't show one. He mentioned tape very briefly. But like, it's a lot of fucking work to print it all out. And he's got like fucking three printers working like, you know, multiple hours to get everything done. But it's like, it's cool. It looks cool. You can paint it.
0: I don't yeah, know. This is for a fucking FDM printer too. Like, oh, you're yeah. not doing this on no. a no, resin printer.
1: Which is a world that I have yet to explore and I'm very reluctant to do I, so. I have,
0: I have zero interest of ever owning one of those ever in my life. I
1: have interest because like they seem like the right tool for like m- like making like tool stuff. Yes. And I wanna print stuff like that. And also designs that stuff is easy to design.
0: Um but like man, I don't want to have to learn all that shit. Hey, yeah, can you see the hours piling up? I can, up? dude. I can. It makes me sad. Yeah. I uh I'm with you there. I am shocked that there's that many people that want exactly this, and also have the understanding the product already in the FDM printer. All of that lines up for three hundred seventy-six thousand dollars of people doing this. That those numbers don't add up to me. Yeah, I don't get it like crazy. Now, granted, there's a, there's ability for you to get the the licensure to sell it yourself for like two hundred fifty bucks on here. I would be much more out to be like. Motherfucker, someone that's got that license print all that shit up for me.
1: Man, that's such a that feels like such a bad thing for a company to do. Now that I have a little bit more perspective on Kickstarter, it's like you are making money right now, but this will make you more money than you're making right now over a decade, and you're you're kind of handing that away. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that? I mean, not not entirely. They can still sell it, obviously, but like you're also allowing other
0: people to also sell it. I think. I think their thought on this, and I my, I, can totally see it, is the people that are going to go to Etsy and buy this physical thing from your Etsy shop, were never going to buy the STL pack from you. So the question you're asking yourself is, are you ever going to produce this yourself so people can only buy it directly through you? If yes, then you shouldn't offer that. If you're going to make it yourself, you shouldn't allow other people to print it and sell it. If no, it feels like only thing you're doing is, you know, not not making money that you weren't going to make anyway, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people even for like the resin paint and stuff like they just they're never going to buy the printer and buy your STL files. They're just not going to do that. But if you can charge a decent amount of money one time for people to do that, then. I guess you're making they're saying I'm making this money otherwise I'm not making it and if I don't offer it people are still gonna probably end up selling the files I can't really control that or police that yeah so I wonder how
1: um how expensive yeah how expensive it'd be to have someone print this for you on like one of those websites where they print models for you I don't know what what would this
0: what would this case cost (laughs) It looks like it would cost you a fuckload of money. I
1: know. which just funny to consider because then you still have to put it together when you get it. It's yeah. just like, what are we talking about here?
0: I don't. I don't. I never thought that those expensive cases that we have. I thought I never thought that those would be viewed as like a reasonable price point. But with this thing, it's it's like you can get the files for like fifty or sixty bucks on their Kickstarter. So if you already have all this stuff, that's great. But I'm not investing all that. I just buy this thing that's got the metal sliding sheet trays, and yep. I put magnets in all my models. And like ding 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 ding. Yep, that's way better. <laughs> it, seem, it seems better. It seems for
1: for specifically miniature painters. Uh, I think the the magnet thing is hard to get away from.
0: Unless Omni Two wants to advertise with us, in which case I will change my mind. No, <laughs> no, that's called selling out, John. We can't do that. <laughs> right, right. It sucks. I'm not saying it sucks,
1: but maybe
0: I'm saying it sucks.
1: There, I yeah. Maybe it's an oversight, maybe I'm not seeing what the the, the method was, but yeah, I feel like you want an easy or an easier fastening method for painted models um, to actually make it usable. Welcome to the end of the podcast. Thank you for hanging out so long and listening to everything we had to say about Nova, about Broken Anvil, about everything we said to the pre-ameral that I can't remember at this point, because it just leaves my head the moment we say it. Yeah, It's so funny, people will be like they'll watch the episode that we recorded, like, two weeks ago, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that thing, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what did I say? It's actually, it actually causes a little bit of concern in the night when I wake up. I'm like, was I racist? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I can't remember what I say in a lot of episodes, uh, so it's, it's kind of funny. But uh, thank you for listening to all of it. Whatever it is, I did say.
0: Yeah, we it, there's, there's very little editing that goes through of, like, take that thing out that Scott said (laughs) that's going to make a lot of people mad yeah fortunately
1: you don't have to do too much of that
0: also if we do that and it does make a lot of people mad it's just kind of like well that's that's who we are we hope we don't make a lot of people mad but I feel like part of this podcast is like just us being us good bad or otherwise and we hope that if you're here you're here for that and we're not putting on a front or a mask about who we are as people, as painters, as friends. So, All right, so this uh, outro for the podcast <laughs> is, is an audio because we talked for too fucking long. <laughs> so there'll be a weird still of us for the rest of this. So that means it's our time to get the fuck out of here and get some lunch. Thank you for hanging around all the way to the end of the podcast. Under the sea.
1: I love the more Disney stuff. If you want to support the podcast, there are two main ways to do that. You can buy some cool merch on our Teespring, things like joggers, things like T-shirts, things like coffee mugs. You can also support us on Patreon where we put out an even longer episode of this by 20 30 minutes longer that that's why we out. have no video right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that part took up that uh but we talk about favorite miles from other painters new things we tried out and experimented with and we also give feedback to one of our patrons so as a patron you can submit miles for us to give feedback to and you can also submit topics for
0: us to discuss on the podcast that's about it though john rolls out thank you for hanging out with us i need lunch we're gonna catch you on the next episode until then let will see you on the hot